Good evening, Craig. We still didn't actually go over what we were going to do after you <laughs> intro. <laughs> I just jumped into it. Yeah. Do you, you guys want to just reading your doc, uh, Aaron? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've given Aaron so much shit this last week over just music. I don't think we can be that mean to him today. <laughs> All right. I'm ready whenever you are, Aaron. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the official podcast of the Denver Broncos subreddit. I'm Aaron, joined as always by Uppercut of Justice. Tangelo. <laughs> this week we have uh, D Bronx1414 joining us again. 14, how's it going? Off the show. <laughs> 14 beep beep please do anything 14 yeah sorry i just got that from you uppercut hello everybody thanks for having me on again this week we're really excited to be joined by a special guest uh cody rourke from locked on broncos is joining us this week cody how's it going hey guys thank you for having me you know things are going really well obviously trying to uh survive in this crazy world uh, i think we're approaching day three of no sports and i uh i'm trying to leave you know, trying to construct uh, defensive schemes with salt and pepper packets. So I'm doing good over here. <laughs> How, um, before we get started, I have a question for you, Cody. It's a two faceted question. Uh, how are the socks going and how's that hot sauce? Oh, the socks. Socks are amazing. I just, uh, you know, I've got the uh, the Lockdown Broncos socks, and I also just got a pair of DNVR socks from HoopSwag.com. Goes to a great cause and, and making sure that people, you know, have the ability to be able to do that and be able to have socks and be able to, you know, pay for things and sporting activities. Great cause there. And uh, I tell you what, I survived the hot sauce. The, uh, it was, the last two were really ridiculously hot, and uh, I sweat. Um, a lot during the hot, hottest portions of it, and then uh, you know I cussed a lot. So I was, it was pretty successful, but I finished it. So I'm, I'm safe to say that I've conquered that, and I feel like I'm immune to the virus now because of that. So here's, here's the thing, and this is tangent. This is just Aaron. You've already failed. Uh, whenever I've dealt with hot sauce, you always find somebody who says that's just heat, not flavor. But what I've actually found is they'll say that whenever they reach their hot threshold. Whereas I'll eat something that's much hotter and go like, there's plenty of flavor in this and they'll criticize me. You know, I, I would say it, it differs, you know, some of the ones that I tasted, you know, there's the bomb, which is, you know, one of the ones that usually sneaks up on everybody in the hot one show that one, as soon as you swallow the chicken, once it goes down, like you don't feel it immediately once you're chewing. And once it goes down, you feel it on your tongue, you feel it on the back of your throat then, you know, you get that flavor and then the heat. So I think the flavor approaches and then the heat comes afterwards. So it's kind of like a tease in a sense, I think. Aaron, you may continue with whatever you were talking about. All right. Welcome to the hot sauce podcast, everybody. <laughs> it's safe to say we were lost in the sauce. Cody, do you have a favorite hot sauce? You know, I do now. I have uh, the Patios Potion. It's got grapefruit, sunflower seeds, onions, carrots, uh, and vinegar mix. It actually tastes really, really good. Um, and then the Hippy Dippy Green is really good as well. But, uh, yeah, no, it's it's really good stuff. I uh, I tend to enjoy that. Tangy, um, it's like a kiwi and avocado-type flavor, which is actually pretty good when you combine the two and all those elements. Wait, you use that for wings or just anything or what? 
Eggs, wings, uh, yeah, anything you can really think of uh, to put it on top of. I haven't tried it yet on, uh, on on French fries or anything like that. I don't think that's my type of thing. I know some people do some crazy stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to try it with steak. Obviously, that would ruin it. So, you know, I mean, you can't put hot sauce on steak. Man, I, I feel like I got to up my game. I have some Frank's Red Hot and some Texas Pete in my house, and that's about it. We might say that's the Decemberists of hot sauce. You might say that. You might. I'm, uh, yeah, learning every day just how basic I really am. All right, Cody. So the coronavirus, the COVID-19, this impact is being felt across the sporting world, which you already kind of mentioned. Are you concerned about where it's going to leave you personally in terms of producing content? You know, that's a great question. I know with the NFL, so we just actually, our entire network, and, and we're a massive network. I mean, we have a, an entire NFL, NHL, MLB, NBA, NCAA network. Uh, it, it just expands on and on. We just had a network-wide meeting with our CEO, and really for the MLB, the NBA network, NHL, they're really affected by this. As of us right now, in terms of the NFL, we're actually proceeding as normal with our content calendar because... Uh, you know, there's no official announcement on this virus pushing back the NFL. I know it's uh, it's being debated right now. It's being discussed. I know there's some NFL teams, some uh, coaches, some owners that feel like the NFL should delay the start of the league year. But as of right now, the NFL is planning on proceeding as usual. So for me, that means business as usual. I was just reading now that um, Sean Payton was asked at a horse race what he thought about the league year. And the quote here is, most immediately at the start of our league year, which is due to be this Wednesday, free agency begins. That's going to be, I think, pushback. I didn't have to read that literally because that's quite a word salad. But yeah, I think it's pretty pretty important to note that an NFL head coach believes it's going to be pushback. So definitely something to keep in mind as we approach the new league year. And I think, too, one of the concerns now, I know everybody's talking about, you know, the travel. I, I think so. But what, what I think the NFL is going to do, you can sign a free agent. You can have Skype conference calls, uh, teleconferences. And I think the language can be pending physical. Obviously, they got to come in and do a physical for it to be official. A.J. Boye's physical uh, was completed last week before all the craziness. So March 18th, that is the first official move on tap for the Broncos. Uh, but in terms of everything else, I, I think that the NFL, they could still you know proceed as they are. Uh, obviously with the restricting travel, but you just might have to tag and coin every phrase to be pending physical, which I think is uh, you know the normal process there. Yeah, I'm 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 very interested to see um, if this doesn't get pushed back at all. To see if there might be kind of a delay. Usually, in those first couple of days of free agency, you really see that flurry of moves with the biggest names kind of falling like dominoes. And I almost wonder if uh, you know free agency will open as scheduled, but then it'll be a little bit before guys actually start getting signed, uh, other than maybe just be just being re-signed by their own teams or their previous teams. I think uh, something to keep in mind, too, is that the worst-kept secret is that a lot of these deals are, you know, almost agreed to during the combine. So I do wonder how much that legal tampering is needed for the top-tier free agents. Because we keep hearing, I'm sure Cody can tell us more about it, but every day I hear more DJ Reader to the Broncos. So I, I imagine that might be close to being done. So I do wonder if some of these deals are already agreed upon and they're just waiting to officially announce it. 
Yeah, you're going to see some of that day one. I mean, usually uh, once the the first five-minute window, the 10-minute window of the NFL free agency period kicks off, that's when you're going to see the first kind of domino fall. Some of these deals are agreed upon uh, in, in terms of principle from the organization to the agent you know as you mentioned at the nfl combine uh but i think a lot of it ultimately boils down to the player now what the you know players obviously can start to negotiate can have conversations themselves with other teams during the legal tampering period but you know i think uh we're gonna see some change there's gonna be a lot of changes here in the nfl and i I think everybody's wondering about tom brady but to be honest with you i think tom brady stays in new england i think that's gonna be one of the first dominoes to fall and i think it's gonna be one of those moves that keeps everybody guessing and this can be like hey you know we told you you know we're gonna be back we're going to be trying to bring things uh for which you know the broncos will get another chance in my opinion i think to play tom brady which would be a uh, nice to knock him back off his uh you know hightail a little bit oh you think he's you, you think he's done as as a, a bronco beater not that he was but as somebody who could well, I tell you what, I think New England's going to reload a wide receiver. If Tom Brady comes back, keep an eye on Emmanuel Sanders to the Patriots this offseason. I'm sure that'll break a few people's hearts in the subreddit, at least. But uh, speaking of ex-Bronco heartbreaking, what about Chris? What's up with Chris? Chris, you know, Chris's time at Denver is done. Uh, you know, he was not very happy when the Broncos decided to make a trade for A.J. Boye. Now, the Broncos' original context are, look, they're, they're still going to make an offer to him. Uh, but this was a move that really soured Chris's view towards the front office, towards the organization. He felt disrespected by the organization. Um, this was a conversation. You know, he did have uh, his agent talk to many teams, around 27, 28 teams, at the NFL Combine while he was in Israel with his family. And, uh, you know, this was one of those moves that just kind of set him over. You know, I one of the things that was said is, you know, he's done. The door is closed for him coming back to Denver, which is a bummer. He is going to be a ring of famer one day. But, you know, all good things must come to an end. It's just unfortunate we don't get to see Strap Harris retire as a Denver Bronco. But, uh, you know, I really think that if this was something that happened after they, you know, made an attempt to re-sign him. I don't think the Broncos wanted to wait, and I certainly understand John Elway's approach for that. You cannot wait and see that, okay, hey, is this guy going to go elsewhere? Is he going to come back, or is he going to leave us? And then what if, you know, force their hand and saying, okay, look, now we need to find a way to get a cornerback one. Uh, Trading for Boye as a Fangio-type player, perfect in this scheme, allows Boye to be a cornerback one for this team, and they're still going to reload at that position as well. But, yeah, this was just one of those moves that was the breaking point for Chris Harris Jr. and the Broncos' relationship. And I know, Cody, you're real in with fans and, and kind of senses of what's going on in fandom. What do you feel about some of the fan backlash to Chris? Because there seems to be a bit of a vitriolic tone coming from not everyone, obviously, but some people. Uh, and it 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 seems a little more defensive like they're they're setting themselves up for this kind of loss more than it is genuine anger at chris yeah this is just one of the stages we all go through there's the denial phase there's the grief phase there's the anger but i think you know broncos fans ultimately are gonna have to come to accept it you know and i I get the attachment to a player who's been uh, a very big portion of what this team's been able to do since he came in as an undrafted rookie free agent learning from champ bailey rising to a stardom role in the slot becoming one of the nfl's top slot cornerbacks uh yeah this is it's definitely hard it's a hard pill to swallow considering we saw the broncos have arguably the best secondary with an o-fly 
supply zone in 2015 with TJ Ward, Akeem Talib, Bradley Roby, Chris Harris Jr., Darian Stewart. I mean, that unit right there is going to be forever remembered, and that unit is gone now. So I think that's where Broncos fans are really struggling is that change that position is going to be difficult because, you know, you lose a guy like that. Now you got to rely on developing guys. you got to rely on some of these other guys coming in and stepping up. And can they live up to the hype? Can they live up to the expectation of what a Broncos secondary looks like? And I think that's really the hardest part for Broncos fans. And certainly I get it, but I do want to encourage Broncos fans. Look, I get it. You guys are, you know, attached to this move. I, you know, I certainly understand that, but you know, you got to, he's got to do what's best for him at this point. He's going to be a Broncos ring of famer. I guarantee you when it's all said and done, when he's done in the NFL, he's going to sign a one day contract with the Broncos. He's going to retire as a Denver Bronco. And that's where everything's going to, you know, kind of go into history. He's not going to retire as a member of another team. I appreciate you mentioning Bradley Roby. I think he's often either overlooked or completely forgotten when people look back on those no-fly zone days because of the not always being the, you know, an outside guy kind of thing. If it wasn't for Bradley Roby, the Broncos do not win the Super Bowl in uh, 2015. And in Super Bowl uh, 50, he had pr- pretty good coverage on Jericho Cotri, um, Philly Brown as well. I mean, this he, he had a pretty good season. And that fumble he forced against Pittsburgh in the divisional round, that was huge. The scoop and score against Kansas City uh, on Thursday night football, that was huge as well. Without those plays, I mean, who knows? The Broncos may not make it to the playoffs that year because they were sitting at – they had to beat L.A. in uh, the Week 17 matchup. And if they lost, there was a chance they could be out of the playoffs based on how good the AFC was that year. And so I think for uh, Broncos fans, I know he gets a lot of hate, but Bradley Roby – uh, you know, he was putting a lot of inopportune situations with Vance Joseph and Joe Woods. It didn't showcase what he could really do. Um, and that, that was the unfortunate thing about him. But happy for Bradley Roby. Hopefully he gets to go somewhere and play and, and stay healthy and have success. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I think Bradley Roby is very underappreciated. Speaking of Bronco secondary, what do we make of Will Parks? I know you've had thoughts and, and a bit of rebuttal about Will Parks lately. You want to you want to touch on him for a second? Yeah, you know, I, I saw on, on a I commented on Reddit too on the on the subreddit, and one of the, somebody posted out there that you know that he's going to go somewhere else where he can start. But I think if you look at the Broncos nickel package, which they switched to rather than being in a base package, they switched to primarily nickel package. Will Parks was a starter for the Broncos as a safety, and then he moved over to the slot after he had broken his hand against Kansas City on Thursday night football, the game I think we'd all like to forget about. Uh, he came back in a couple of weeks, played with a cast on his hand, and he excelled in a role in that nickel slot position. Vic Fangio loves Will Parks big time. Uh, Ed Donatel loves him as well. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things, too. Yes, he can go to a team. There are multiple NFL teams right now. They're teams that are contenders, uh, playoff contender teams that would like Will Parks to come in and be one of their top two safeties uh, on their roster. And there's also a lot of teams that are, you know, on the bottom tier trying to rebuild, trying to get back to competition within their own division that would like Will Parks as well. And I think ultimately he's played himself into a payday. Unfortunately, his uh, 2017, 2018 years, he was highly underutilized by Vance Joseph and Joe Woods. He would have flashes, and then they'd just go away from those base packages. And granted, in 2016, his rookie season, you have T.J. Ward and Darian Stewart still on the team. 2017, you still have, uh, you know, you still have uh, Darian Stewart on the team. Then you have Justin Simmons rising up into a role as well. It was hard for Will Parks to really see safety reps consistently with the way that those guys were playing. Uh, but now, you know, Vic Fangio found a way to utilize him in a way where 
he can kind of showcase his ability. He's versatile. He can play as a as a high safety playing the coverage. He can play in the box, stopping the run, and he can also play in the slot, which, you know, right there, NFL teams love that in him. And, you know, he could be a day one guy that signs with another team or Denver, um, or it could be a week two signing, depending on how the market falls and where teams' priorities are at. What do you think are likely landing spots for Parks, Ben? You know, I would say keep an eye on the New England Patriots as a potential team. Bill Belichick would love to utilize a guy like him. Also, you know, keep you know Philly, Philadelphia. Keep an eye on them as well. His hometown. Um, he's created a name for himself. He spends a lot of time, even during the season, when they have breaks in between. He goes back to Philly. His family's there. He's he's advocating a lot for the gun violence that's happening down there in Philadelphia. And, you know, he's doing a lot of things there. So he's put his name out there. The Eagles would like him as well. The Miami Dolphins just released Rashad Jones. So keep an eye on, you know, that being a team that would have interest in him. Uh, but the Broncos want him back. But I think the biggest thing that comes up in this situation here is that there's a lot of salary cap right now dedicated to that secondary with Kareem Jackson. Simmons about to be, you know, pay the highest safety in the NFL. Um, Well-deserved for him. A.J. Boyer's contract, Bryce Callahan, and I know you have an out with uh, Kareem Jackson after 2020, but it's a lot of money to be focusing in that secondary, which is one of the reasons they did not offer a tender to Devontae Bosby. So they, they want to bring Bosby back in the fold, but for Will Parks, he's going to see a lot of attention. I think um, if he gets an offer from a very good team first before the Broncos are able to reach out to him and and say, okay, now we want to get a deal done with you right away because they're going to focus first on some other needs before they shift to Will Parks, then, uh, you know, I think that's how we're going to see things play out. But I'd say it's 50-50. He wants to stay in Denver, though. Um, I had a chance to speak with him last week, and, you know, he loves Denver. He'd like to, you know, be there uh, very close with Justin Simmons and his family. He loves it in Denver completely, but, uh, you know, he understands it's a business, and and he's ready to take care of himself if that uh, opportunity presents itself. There's kind of a sentiment amongst fans, or at least in the subreddit, that coaches like Fanjo, coaches like Munchak, can take what would normally be perceived out of the draft or <clears throat> in free agency as lesser talent and get starter tier talent out of them. How, first off, how true is that? Well, I guess I don't like that question, but I'll ask it anyway. How true is that? And, and how would something like that play into a Will Parks or maybe even, you know, a Bowles or something like that where you've got players that might not be on the roster in the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, I think this coaching staff, especially with Munchak, Fangio, Donatel, you know, this Broncos coach staff is highly experienced. They're looking at all these guys. And, and you know, when Dalton Reisner went out against the Detroit Lions with that flu, with the, with an illness, they slid in Patrick Morris, they slid in Schlotman um, to, to kind of help out with that. And those guys actually played decently well against a pretty, you know, for guys being thrown in for, their, you know, some of the first NFL action of the season, they held their own pretty well. And I think that they're really about developing. Now, one thing we notice and this is where you know i think your question comes into uh you know great emphasis here is that in training camp even with the rookies even with the guys that are not even on the roster right now the broncos were getting a lot of these young guys you know uh first team reps with uh, the starters with joe flacco with the first team defense because they want to see if they can fit that mold and i think this coaching staff is they're patient they're looking at what these guys can do can they be a great scheme fit can they do what we ask them to do 
Do they pick up the terminology? Do they understand the playbook? And uh, if they progress along quickly there, you know, they're going to see a role, whether it's a role player role or if they overtake a starter who's not necessarily getting the job done. That's where they view their emphasis. So for guys like Garrett Bowles, you look at inside linebacker as well. They look at the other guys behind them and uh, they say, okay, can they do what we want them to do? And I think a great point would be to uh, go back to week one uh, against the uh, Oakland Raiders. Now the Las Vegas Raiders, you had Josh Watson and Josie Jewell starting at inside linebacker and uh, inside linebacker Vic Fangio uh, had his hands on that position quite a bit this year alongside Reggie Herring. And, uh, you know, that was a big thing. He put a lot of trust in a, in a rookie guy and uh, Josh Watson. Uh, on the topic of that Raiders game, you mentioned Josie Jewell at linebacker, and it just came into mind because I remember that game that Jewell really struggled in it, I thought personally. I, I was just wondering, what what did they see over the summer that they wanted Jewell to start there, and why, why did it take so long for Alexander Johnson to start? I think that's a big question that's been on a lot of Broncos country's mind, and I was hoping you could maybe answer that. Yeah, that's a great question, and you know, I think uh, I, I felt the same frustration as well. Uh, with with Josie Jewell, they felt like him coming back, he, he might have been one of the most uh, solid Broncos coverage linebackers. He wasn't as bad as advertised. Uh, but when he got put into that starting role alongside Josh Watson, look, you know, Derek Carr and that John Gruden offense, they're going to go play action. They're going to go RPO. And those guys bid a lot. And they'd identify and, and try to get them into man coverage situations based on their formations. And so it was a chess match between Gruden and Vic Fangio, who was making his transition from the, uh, the box to the sideline. And that played a role into it. But once the Broncos were 0-4, Bradley Chubb tears his ACL, the overall mood in Dove Valley became very gloomy. Uh, Vic Fangio and the staff met together and said, look, okay, we started off 0-4. We had a couple heartbreakers, but look, we can't make excuses. We are in a position right now where we are under the microscope and we got to, you know, we got to try to do something different. So that was one of the biggest changes. They took out Josie Jewell. They put him as a situational type player uh, behind Alexander Johnson alongside Todd Davis, who made his return from an injury that he suffered in training camp. And then what they were able to do is, is shift Shelby Harris from nose tackle to DN place Mike Purcell at a more solidified anchor role there and the Broncos made some of these changes all across the board that is Vic Fangio testing things out and unfortunately for the team it worked because you go on the road against LA you beat them you shock them pretty much uh, and you do a great job containing Austin Eckler who was right at that point the NFL's leading rusher and then all of a sudden you go against the Tennessee Titans and you slow down Derrick Henry who ended up being the NFL's leading rusher the entire season the the crown rushing king there um, you hold him 28 yards on 15 carries, and uh, you know, that was the start of the Tannehill era. But that was the start. That was the change for the Broncos, and really they viewed it as we can make a couple of changes in personnel without having to completely cut everything in half and and just scrap it. So they like to plug and play guys a little bit to see what type of fit they can provide, and if they do good, then they have something there they can continue to work with. You mentioned uh, the adaptability of Fangio, moving players in and out as as needed. What do you think in this hypothetical? Uh, what do you think the season would have been like had Vance still been on the team? You know, I, I don't think it would have been uh, long-lived. I think Vance Joseph would have met an early demise in 2019. And, uh, you know, nothing against Vance Joseph. He's a great human being. And the players liked him as a person. But as a coach, he was just too cool for them. And when he was the head coach, there were a lot of players that would show up late for meetings. And curfew was not really followed very well on road trips um, or even during training camp. He was just too lax, too laid back with the players. And that was something that was really making the front office uncomfortable. And certainly 
certainly. I mean, it, it led to a lot of uh, in, in locker room disputes. We go back to Aqib Tlaib calling out the Broncos offense at one point. There was a lot of divisiveness in that locker room. And Vance Joseph just didn't have a very good control over all of it. So, uh, you know, not to mention the fact that the Broncos defense, he really wanted to control every aspect, you know, for the Broncos coaches. They didn't get much of an individual period. They only got like 10 minutes of doing indie, which is, you know, they do their position-specific drills. Everything else was team-focused. And some of the position coaches, they had input. They wanted to put some other guys into those positions. But Vance would be like, no, we're not doing that. And uh, that's where there was a little bit of strife amongst the coaching staff as well. So it was just one of those unfortunate things we, uh, you know, unfortunately run into in the business side. I know that from coaching myself, being around the game, that stuff does happen. And, uh, you know, it can definitely, you know, if players see that it can cause a complete divide in the locker room. How do you see the rest of free agency playing out? Do you see any more secondary additions or how, how are, how's that looking? Yeah, you know, I think for the Broncos, you know, I think the first case is to be taking a look at guys like Prince Amukamara. Obviously, some ties with the Van, uh, the Fangio defense and Fangio system. Prince had his best year. He was utilized in a way, like we mentioned, Big Fangio knows how to kind of plug and place guys into positions he knows that they can succeed in. And then if that doesn't work out, the Broncos still want to bring back Devontae Bosby, probably on a more team-friendly deal than offering a tender to him. Uh, the Broncos and his agent have been in contact. Um, and if for some reason any of those signings don't work out, keep an eye on Xavier Rhodes as a potential guy that the Broncos look to bring in, uh, especially considering the fact that he is lengthy. He's a zone-covered corner. He struggled in Zimmer's man-coverage scheme. And going back to the Minnesota Vikings game against Denver this year where the Broncos blew that big lead, uh, you know, there were some times he had really great coverage on Cortland Sutton, but we saw Cortland Sutton play man-like football, and he just outmuscled him. And so, you know, really nothing wrong there. I want to go back and watch more film on Rhodes, but he is a guy that, in my opinion, could be a Fangio-style pickup. So I think the first bet is Prince of Mukamara and Devontae Bosby. If none of those guys pan out, keep an eye on Xavier Rhodes. What do you think of the rest of the positions that they might pick up in free agency? Well, I think defensive end is going to be a big emphasis for them. They're going to be taking a look at DJ Reader from the Houston Texans. They made contact with his agent at the NFL Scout and Combine. Once the legal tampering period is opening up, they're going to be contacting him. They want to entice him to come over. They're going to have some competition from teams like the Tennessee Titans. Uh, and so I, I think for the Broncos, they're looking at the whole situation. They're preparing as if Derek Wolf and Shelby Harris are both going to depart and not come back. You do have Draymond Jones there as a defensive end who emerged last year for the Broncos in a big time way demarcus walker but they still need to add another defensive end so they may look to pursue another defensive end in the nfl free agency portion outside of reader uh, but their hope is that they can sign reader and keep a guy like Derek wolf in the fold but uh, right now it looks like Derek wolf's gonna be playing some hardball with the broncos and uh, it's gonna make things very interesting um, maybe inside linebacker they might take a look at a couple options there i know Corey littleton's been mentioned a little bit uh, but i think the broncos might have an emphasis on taking a look at Justin Hollins next season as a potential in inside linebacker transition uh, from an edge guy. And that's when he was first drafted by the Broncos. Once they reported that rookie minicamp, Fangio had him playing at Mike Linebacker. He picked up the system very quickly. Uh, they didn't get to see too much of it last season, but there were sets where he played as an inside linebacker, and he actually had great track in the football. Um, and that's one of the things I think that we might see. The Broncos may look in-house rather than going out and spending more money. I want to I want to take a couple steps back. Uh, you talked briefly about Derek Wolf uh, possibly playing somewhere else. What do you think the Broncos' preference is as far as Derek Wolf goes? Do they want him back, or do you think they're content to let him walk? 
you know, I think it's a little bit of both there, to be honest with you. And I think the biggest factor in is the Broncos view Derek Wolf. You know, he was a outspoken guy in that locker room. He's a leader. Many of the players loved him. I mean, he's a guy that sets the tone in training camp. He was the first person this year uh, that started a fight at training camp. Him and Connor McGovern uh, were going at it, and he threw Connor McGovern's helmet probably 20 yards downfield. It was a really cool thing to see there. Um, but, they, you know, they might be interested in maybe letting him test first. Um, I think the Broncos' first inclination is to take care of guys that want to be back. Derek Wolf has said he'd like to be back, but right now he's putting the pressure on them. He said that $9.75 million right now is the floor for what he's being offered, and there's some teams out there that are offering him in the $10.5 million range per year, maybe even the 11s. And so I think the Broncos, uh, it might be a little bit of a bidding war. They'd like to have him back and, and keep him on the, in Denver because this will be his last contract before he retires. And so if they could do that, they can get Wolf, they can get Reader, and have Draymond Jones and Demarcus Walker be those guys behind them that continue to emerge and develop for when they decide to hang it up, when Wolf decides to walk away from the game. They'll be more polished um, at that point. So I think that might be really the biggest plan right now. But um, he's playing a little bit of hardball right now with the Broncos, and I think it's something that we're going to see, um, especially as a veteran guy. You know, he, he's in his last contract. He just wants something that's going to set him and his family up for when he decides to call it uh, quits for goods. And I think the Broncos are erring on the concern of, you know, health and durability. Is he a guy that we want to pay this amount of money for for this period of time? So I would expect maybe a two to three year deal, um, three years at the max, probably in the 10.4, 10.3 million dollars uh, range there for him. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how things fluctuate. All right, and then uh, Justin Simmons obviously has has been. I guess he's been officially tagged at this point, or he at least knows he's going to be tagged. Uh, that report coming from Ian Rapaport. Elway has a history of using that tag, from what I understand, like Pat Bolin intended the tag to be used, and using that as an extended negotiating time. Uh, Elway hasn't had a player actually play under the tag to this point. Do you think that that'll continue with Justin Simmons? Uh, you think that they will manage to get a long-term deal done? Yes, I do. I know the, uh, the deadline is July 15th. And as you mentioned, yeah, and John Elway's history, when he's placed a franchise tag, uh, sometimes it's been down to the final minute where they get a deal done. Um, the expectation is that a deal will get done with Justin Simmons and his agent. You know, I think the one thing that helps the Broncos and helps Simmons in this regard is that Rich Hurtado, who was a co-agent alongside uh, his agent right now, which is Todd France, that helps uh, the organization make the best informed decision and also allows Justin Simmons to get a deal that is obviously team-friendly and player-friendly the same exact standpoint. And I think what the Broncos are looking at doing first is taking care of some of their needs in free agency first, getting some of that bulk there, uh, maneuvering some of these deals, and then lastly coming to Justin Simmons and negotiating that contract. That's the plan. I would expect maybe something to get done in May. May's my kind of ballpark range. I know it could take up to the July 15th deadline, uh, but my anticipation is uh, May right now for a deal. But it's going to happen. The Broncos are going to keep Justin as a Bronco for long-term, five years. He's going to be the highest-paid safety in the NFL. It seems the focus of uh, the Broncos free agency so far, it seems to be pretty heavy defense. Have you heard anything about uh, what their plans are for offense? Is it just going to be in the draft or do they have some names that they're lining up on offense for free agents? Yeah, first off, they're taking a look at a few few guys. You know, they're going to be taking a look at Robbie Anderson, but talks have escalated between Robbie Anderson and the New York Jets. They could end up signing him to a long-term deal. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. I would certainly welcome a guy like Robbie Anderson into the fold there. I think the Broncos might look at the running back position in terms of the free agency route, Jordan Howard being one of the most likely names that they decide to target. I know that there's been some talks of Melvin Gordon. He'd be great, in my opinion, in a Broncos uniform. Uh, keep an eye 
on Kenyon Drake as well. He's one of those other guys I think would be a, a tremendous dynamic with Philip Lindsay, but ultimately they got to figure out what are we going to be doing? And I think the Broncos want to take care of Philip Lindsay with a contract extension first before they bring in a running back, because you know, you want to take a look at how it looks. If you bring in a running back, that's going to make more money than Lindsay. And he hasn't even gotten an extension yet. Uh, so I would say maybe the Broncos be bold and maybe they extend Philip Lindsay and then they go out and they get another running back to compliment him and Royce Freeman, who struggled the last couple of years with injuries and consistency, uh, but they're going to be going in that direction too. And they also, if, if they don't go free agency for a running back, look at the NFL draft as one of those guys. Keep an eye on Eno Benjamin from Arizona State as a potential prospect for them to keep an eye on. Uh, but outside of that too, you know, the offensive line, they could look at a couple of veteran guys and really not uh, from what I've been told right now, that's really not the strong focal point of where this Broncos team is looking. They actually like their in-house offensive line options at this point. They could draft some options there, uh, but ultimately I think it's going to boil down to probably defense in the NFL uh, free agency period. And then you're going to try to build that offense via the NFL draft. You hear that 14 offensive line, not as, not as high a priority. Yeah, no, uh, Uppercut is referring to Cody because uh, Uppercut and I are two of the bigger proponents on the sub of that the offensive line isn't as bad as people think. And I know I, I listened to your pod and I've seen you on Twitter as well defend the guy. So it, it was that's what Uppercut was alluding to there. We have a word or we have a phrase, I suppose. Oh, man. <laughs> you came up with it. It's a good one. What we, it's just trench wonk. Uh, somebody who's really concerned with either side of the trenches. Um, and it may stem from like old school football. You build from the trenches kind of mentality, but it is a thing that happens all the time. You see people, you, you see people still say that Locke's going to die behind the current offensive line. And it does seem a little bit of more fanaticism than anything. And, and sometimes we like to have fun with them, call them trench walks. The uh, the the game tape never lies, and I know a lot of fans are like, oh, you know, how is Drew Locke going to be upright behind this offensive line? But he hardly took many sacks when he came in as a starting quarterback because he's mobile, he's decisive. Joe Flacco would stand in the pocket for days. Now he'd have his initial three step or five step drop, and when his initial read wasn't there, he'd almost climb backwards. He'd back up even more. It's almost like playing Madden, and he he was not mobile. So defenses were literally sending their edge rushers upfield. They would send inside linebackers into the A gap and the B gap they'd run twist stunts and they would be able to fluster Joe Flacco all day which is why the Broncos offense was so horrible uh, for a certain period of time um, after that you know Chicago Bears week or even after the uh, I would say the, the downfall really started against Green Bay's when he really got uh, to holding on to the ball staring down a receiver too much uh, Drew Locke was a difference maker. He was decisive. He made uh, quick, decisive reads. or a couple, you know, he had, he had his moments. But outside of that, the Broncos offensive line benefited from having Drew Locke in the lineup. But, you know, I want to go back to this, too. It, it's not always just about the guys that you have. It's about, uh, you know, what you can do. You know, they always say it's about it's not about the, uh, the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy's and Joe's. This Broncos coaching staff on the defensive line, in terms of trench warfare, the offensive line, you have Mike Munchek. Defensive line, you have Coach Kalar. These guys are considered two of the best position coaches at that position in the National Football League. These guys are great at coaching their guys up and getting the best out of them. And if they don't work, then they plug them out. They switch it around. And I, I think, that, you know, Broncos fans look at the frustration with Garrett Bowles, the holding penalties. Um, that he had early on in the season and in, early on in his career and also some of the times where he'd give up a sack. That's a lot. A lot of it's related to footwork. 
And I think that coaching has made a big difference in the second half of the season for Bulls. And we certainly saw that. Heck, even Elijah Wilkinson, who played right tackle, he's a guard, but he played right tackle, was pretty serviceable, despite the fact that his footwork wasn't that great as well for speedy edge pass rush guys. So, uh, like I said, I think coaching really does matter, gentlemen. It really, really does. And, and I think that's one of the things, too, when I look on film, is that coaching made a big difference on the offensive line. I'm sorry. Did you just call us gentlemen? That feels very, very <laughs> liberal use of the term. No, I'm a gentleman. Mm. Well. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, go for it. No, my uh was, was with nothing after it. Go for it. So we, I'm sorry because I'm, I'm circling back to an old topic now. We've talked about how right now, Officially, there aren't any plans for the NFL to shift its schedule around in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN reported on Friday that the NBA Players Association informed its players of a quote-unquote doomsday provision in the NBA CBA that allows owners to avoid paying players a percentage of their pay based on a shortened season. Do you know, I, I, I don't even... I don't even know if this is like a relevant question with the CBA vote happening right now. Is there something like that in the NFL CBA? And do you think that do you think that maybe we could see some excused fines or or some bonuses that are kind of granted amnesty if guys don't show up for these offseason workouts that are starting in about a month? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, I was actually talking with Uppercut a little bit earlier. There's so much in the language. There's so much ambiguity when it comes to, uh, you know, the the X's and the O's, the, the whole contract details of the CBA. I spoke to a couple of NFL agents this week that, you know, they're working with their clients, and uh, they're trying to educate their clients the best they can, so they're consulting with lawyers, they're bringing in legal teams to help analyze this. And uh, one of the biggest things that was found is that the actually the NFL owner is going to be making more money off of this and they want to sell it to the players that, OK, you know, players want a little bit more time off. That's one thing Aaron Rodgers has been very vocal about. We want more time off during the, the mini camp portions. But one of the things that I think that was ran into was that players are starting to pick up on the fact that some of these clauses weren't actually written in there and that they were just being told that. And that's where players you know, had to read for themselves. So obviously through consultation with legal teams, uh, that's where a lot of players are at right now, which is why a lot of players have been very outspoken against it. They're very unhappy because they're being told one thing, but the reality is, is that it was more of a tactic to try to get them to rush to sign the CBA a lot quicker. And ultimately I think it's a, uh, it's put a lot of pressure on the NFL, to be honest with you. Everyone hear me typing. Yeah, that was, that was, fun. <laughs> was it that loud? <laughs> It wasn't. Yeah, it was pretty. Um, it no, I'm just, I'm just fighting with people on Reddit. I got it. You're a good multitasker. I didn't. Jeez, are you on our sub? Oh yeah, always on our sub. Yeah, with this account. <laughs> uh, do you guys want to go into CBA talk a little bit, a little bit more than what? God, Cody, you speak like so economically. And I'm not going to have to edit any of that, and it's going to be a good time for like long stretches of, oh, that was informative and no pauses. I try to, man. I try to comprehend it the best of my knowledge. That was, uh, it was really tough too because I had to review the CBA and and I was also relying a lot of what some of the lawyers that uh, the NFL agents have spoken to have, have put out in memoirs. It's a uh, it's a whole tricky situation, um, but yeah, there's so much ambiguity, and I think it's going to be um, a very debated topic. And as they vote on it right now. Um, 
it could pass by a slim vote just due to the fear of this whole coronavirus shutting everything down. Um, that's where everything gets tricky. Uh, so really, I think this whole virus thing and how it's impacted uh, our entire world actually might benefit the CBA of getting passed more so than players voting no on it because there could be a concern that if it does get you know very uh, widespread and if it's as dangerous as many people are indicating it out to be, if it's you know we don't know exactly how dangerous it is and it ends up being super bad, uh, then there could be a potential delay of the season, and that's something I think that you know it's muddy water there. So they're using that as an opportunity cost to maybe get this vote passed. So tricky stuff. Yeah, that that sounds like something that's probably going to happen. I'm already pretty anti this current version of the cba i i there's so many things i don't like about it i I don't like that the players don't have a non-negotiable thing with it i don't like that it's so long without an out the owners got an out for the last one but the players didn't and so when you talk about raising the 47 to like 48.5 that's the number for 11 years that's and i know it's going to benefit you know what is it like 65 percent of the players are more than likely going to benefit from that pay increase but we're talking about potentially three to four uh, we'll call it cycles of players you know average player tenure and so like 2028 these it's still going to be the same deal and i i don't think that's a good thing long term for the players and it's going to suck a little bit you know if if they were going to try and fight against it it would suck a little bit well it might suck a whole hell of a lot for current players not receiving that bump or maybe even having to strike and not get paid at all but i feel like when you're talking about especially labor movements and union stuff often you should probably approach it with i'm going to take a hit so those that come after me can have a better version of this and that's the concern right now. You know, a lot of the players that, you know, see the benefits of that revenue money with that split that, you know, we're talking about the guys that are at the bottom tier of the NFL, guys who have not proved themselves or, you know, they're not even out of their second contract yet. They're the most affected by it. Um, and that's why they want to vote for it. But the players who make a lot of the money already, that's why they do not necessarily like this vote. I know Richard Sherman has been outspoken on it. Um, but actually players now, a lot of those players, they want 50, 50, this is going to be 11 years, no opting out. That's how it's going to be for the next 11 years. Players want things to be a little bit more negotiable. And unfortunately, I think with how they tried to rush the process, uh, it, it completely got rid of the talks about getting rid of Thursday night football, or at least making Thursday night football, something that comes after a bye week I can tell you this players absolutely hate it because they play a game on Sunday. They got to come back in on Monday. Usually they have a day off on Monday or they come in, they get treatment, they watch film. Well, they got to get treatment a little bit after the game, come in in the morning, get treatment. Then they got to do film probably about the mid morning to afternoon. And then they got to do a little bit of a practice in the afternoon as well. So their body is absolutely banged up and you got to go in on a Thursday night. You either got to travel or you're at home. You don't get a lot of opportune time to get your body well rested at a game where these guys are fast, they're physical, and that's a big concern, uh, I think, in the long run. And that is something that's got brushed under the rug a little bit, and players are not very happy about it. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, this this could be very ugly, but unfortunately, I think the uh, the players might be voted into. What if the owners created this coronavirus to actually force this hand and it completely ruined uh you know, this whole, the whole 11 year setup. That to me is like a very interesting conspiracy theory. That's Alex Jones type stuff. And I don't want to dive too much into that. Well, I mean, I'm not against blaming, uh, blaming all of our worldly problems on a, a very small group of people who have hoarded the amount of wealth that they have. And I do have, it might be a reoccurring joke on this pod a little bit, but I do have 
something of a solution. And Aaron knows what it is. 14 might know what it is, but it's guillotines. I think we should reinvest in guillotines, start just like carrying them around with us, going, you know what? No, you don't get to make the coronavirus and have all of our money. We're going to have guillotines. And it was met with silence. Cody, if you could play GM for a bit for the Broncos, how would you play out the rest of free agency and maybe a bit of the draft? You know, I would do whatever it takes. I, you know, I, and I, I know I'm going to get some hate from this, and, and it's perfectly okay. I've opened myself up to this too because I, I know on, on Reddit, I know on Twitter, there's been a huge topic of discussion. Oh, I'm a mod. Uh, I'll just ban them. Just say whatever you want. I you have know, I, unlimited power here. I think the biggest thing for me, look, I get it. I, I, I think that Henry Ruggs is the most dynamic player in this year's NFL draft, and it's not just because he's a speed guy, and I hate that because literally that's, a, that's the debate I get into every week, every week. And I mean, last weekend, I think NFL Twitter was actually dedicated to debating the speed guys. And Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl, I think, did a phenomenal job uh, kind of cutting that nonsense out a little bit. But Henry Ruggs is such a dynamic player. And, and I know everybody's going to say, well, you know, he only averaged three catches per game, you know, this, this, and this. But if you look at what he does when he's not getting the football, it is, it's special stuff. It's stuff that you really cannot coach. It's hard. It's effort. He blocks his tail off for his uh, running backs, for his other receivers in the screen game. I mean, this is a guy that finds work. He doesn't stand around. He's not a prima donna. Um, his story is actually really, really special. I, I was talking with one of my buddies um, in the network, and he covers the – you know, Alabama Crimson Tide. And, and he said that really Henry Ruggs story, you're not going to find a guy that has a cleaner story in terms of high character. And uh, one of the biggest things too, he's a very humble human being. He lost his best friend in high school uh, to a car accident. And that was something that he has carried with him. And so he plays for a lot more than just himself. And he's a guy that conducts himself as a professional. Um, and I think when you go through the whole entire thing, and I want to make the comparison too, I don't want to, I don't want to pile on Jerry Judy, but uh, Jerry Judy rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, a lot of general managers and potential scouts and player personnel directors with some of his comments because he did wear the star of David, and a lot of them they asked him, you know, the media asked him, you know, why are you wearing that? And he says that you know I'm not Jewish, but you know it's just because people call me Jew, and so that right there rubbed a lot of NFL uh, personnel the wrong way. And and certainly I get it. It's a it's a dumb mistake from a young guy. Do you crucify him for it? I don't think so, but I think it did create a little bit of a narrative out there. To be honest with you, so what a choice of words. I know. <laughs> actually, I did not. That's actually crazy. <laughs> What a moment we just had here, gentlemen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, remember when you drew swastikas on your film review? Oh, could you remember that? You got to bring that up again. Oh, yeah, the damn – I tell you what, man, that damn post-will route is tricky. And I tell you what, mover, maneuvering that on a MacBook keypad is very difficult. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, – yeah, certainly, definitely, uh, you know, wordplay here. I just talked about Jerry Judy and his wordplay, and I just used it myself. Jeez Louise. Um but outside of that, I think Jerry Judy is the best route runner um, in this year's draft, but Henry Ruggs is the guy, the all-around player. And not a lot of people are talking about that because of the whole speed hype. He is speedy, but he runs great routes. Um, he creates opportunities for other guys on his team. What more could you want? Could you imagine? Look look what Tyreek Hill does for guys like Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelser, um, or even McCole Hardman, and even running backs out of the backfield for KC. His speed is such a problem that they – 
allocate sometimes two defenders, sometimes three defenders to cover the vicinity of which Tyree Kill is going to be at across the middle of the field, deep halves, and uh, it fluctuates a lot of resources out there. That's what Henry Ruggs can do for the Broncos, and if they want to take their offensive gameplay to the next uh, level, they got to bring in a guy like him. So for me, if I was GM, I would trade one of the third-round picks and maybe even a fourth or a fifth-round pick uh, this year or maybe even a third-round next year combined with this year's third-round pick, one of them, and I would move up to get ahead of maybe a team like the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, maybe try to trade back with the Cleveland Browns. I don't know if they're going to be willing to move back because they're, they're in the market of trying to get an offensive lineman, but there is a team that I suspect may be willing to trade back, and the Broncos could do what the Pittsburgh Steelers did with them in 2018. So we got it. We got the Rugs endorsement. I, I think that's the first one we've had on the show. <laughs> Yeah. And it comes from somebody much more knowledgeable than any of us have been. Any of you. Any of you listening to this. If, none uh, of you are right. If Ruggs was not an option for the Broncos, look, I'd would I, I I'd be all in on, uh, on Denzel Mims from Baylor. Um, I think he's going to be the absolute still of the draft at the wide receiver position. We know CeeDee Lamb is very good. We know Jerry Judy is also very good. But I think uh, Denzel Mims is going to really surprise a lot of people in 2020. Uh, for whatever team he goes to. He's not going to be there in round number two. And I know a lot of fans are saying, go offensive line with your 15th pick, which in my opinion, I think is the, the dumbest thing because right now it's not a really big position of need. Um, according to the Broncos front office, they don't view it as a big time position of need right now. Uh, they really want weapons on this offense with Drew Lockett and outside of Cortland Sutton because it's far too often third and long situations. You see teams starting to gravitate over towards Sutton. They'll play press inside leverage or outside leverage, cover two or cover two man, and they'll have a safety over the top lurking over where Cortland Sutton is. They'll bring that uh, play side linebacker, drop him into the hook, a zone concept to Cortland Sutton's side, and you got to have other guys get open. Noah Fant, Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick. That's why we saw Deshaun Hamilton emerge a little bit with Drew Locke towards the end of the season, which was great. I, I was so happy for him to be able to do that. Uh, but those guys did not produce a enough so they need another weapon that can absolutely produce and and because of his element on the field rugs would allow those other guys to get really opportune looks and rise to the top because with tim patrick we just saw too much inconsistency he had his great moments uh, but we didn't see enough compiled into consistent game-to-game production poor day sean i really liked him you sound like he died. <laughs> He's uh I mean, have you looked at any time? Go type in Deshaun Hamilton, no context anywhere in the Denver Broncos subreddit. They oh yeah. Will be, it's he bad. will be treated like not only did he die, but he was also Pontius Pilate when he died. I felt so bad for him too. Yeah, we're it, keeping it on brand here. It was really because of that week one, that drop in the end zone. Now that's what really did it in. People don't forget that. So people don't forget your lowest moments. Um, but I think, you know, him having that bounce back towards the end of the season, I think was a good redemption for him going into this off season. Uh, that drop against LA and Drew Locke's start on uh third and 12. That, uh, that was definitely, you know, disheartening as well. The whole stadium booed. I mean, everybody heard it. Uh, yeah, definitely feel for a guy like him uh, for sure. I feel like, between uh, Garrett Bowles and Isaac Yadam, I feel like Deshaun Hamilton gets the brunt of the most hate as well. He's up there in the top three. <laughs> Poor Yadam. <laughs> I like him too. Oh, man. I should just not pay attention to anybody we draft until the season starts. All right. Uh, I know we've gone over a couple, or by virtue of Cody being a wealth of just so much information, a couple of these things have been brought up already, but... Is there any kind of misconception either with the Broncos or with the NFL 
or not with the NFL, but with football in general, you you see a lot that you'd like to clear up or, or just let people know that they're taking it a little too far or they're completely wrong. Oh, man, you know, I don't even know where to start. There's several things, too. Um, I think with Todd Davis is one of them. He gets a lot of hate. Then people say, oh, he's he's garbage. He's terrible. The Broncos shouldn't be, you know, bringing him back. But uh, to be honest with you, he's the Broncos' best run defender um, that they have on the team. Vic Fangio loves him. One thing he wants from his guys, especially linebackers, guys who can tackle. And uh, Todd Davis is that guy. And he played hurt. Uh, he rushed back a little bit from that injury. And, you know, usually a guy would be on a pitch count in his first return to action. I mean, he didn't see any preseason games. He got hurt in the training camp portion. Um, and he just came back right away and played full on and was full go all season long and still dealt with a couple injuries here and there, came back out on the field. Uh, the Broncos view him highly, and he's very underrated in coverage, actually. You know, when you go back to Vantage Joseph and Joe Wood's defensive schemes, they ran a lot of cover zero and a lot of cover one. So there were many times where Todd Davis, he's lined up in the box, his primary responsibility, he's got to stop the run. He's got to play run first. What happens if they bring that, that tailback on a motion to the outside? What happens if they swing him out of the backfield and they have, uh, you know, let's say a twins to the right side and running back to the right side? If I'm looking at it from Todd Davis, he's got two receivers to his right. He's got uh, the running back to his right. They bring one of those, they bring the number two receiver in on a drag or a slant route across his face, and then they send that running back on a swing route or on a flat route. He's got to cut underneath that number two route so he could be able to get across the pick to be able to get there, and people say, okay, he caught a three-yard pass. Okay, Todd Davis is garbage. That is where a lot of my frustration comes from. Um, I spent a lot of time watching NFL film. I know defenses, and and really what we see in the game broadcast, this is why I think the All-22 is so important, um, because when we watch the game broadcast live, we make general assumptions. Okay, it looks like it was this guy's responsibility. I don't pause the game to go back and do it because I think it's a counterintuitive to a live game. That's why we go back and watch the film. So once the film comes out, you go back and you watch it. You can see things evolve a little bit for what they truly are. And I think for Todd Davis, he's very underrated. I think he's a guy that's better off dropping back in zone coverage than he is in man coverage. Um, and Vic Fangio doesn't want to put his inside linebackers in a lot of man coverage situations um, unless he has those types of guys. So I think the Broncos did a very good job of understanding with him and Alexander Johnson what their strengths were and what they could do. So that's really what played into all that in uh, 2019. I think it's going to evolve even more in 2020. The Broncos, Vic Fangio has been talking about going to more six DB sets, going with the dime package. I would love to see that, which is where it opens up opportunities for guys like Justin Hollins to play as a dime inside linebacker. And you have a lot of you know versatile DBs out there covering, especially against a team like Kansas City. Expect to see a lot of that. Oh, I'm so glad you did that for Todd. Todd's been needing a champion. Yeah, he, he he's a good dude. He uh, but yeah, like he sees all this stuff too. And his, his biggest thing is like, does anybody watch the film? Like, it, it's hard being a football player because it comes with the territory where all your mistakes, like high moments, your low moments, they're all broadcasted out there. But uh, people wanted to forget about that too when he had a uh, pick six against the Arizona Cardinals back in 2019. I don't think or uh, 2018. Nobody wanted to talk about that though. There's like, oh, Todd Davis got lucky. Not nah, let you know applaud the guy and what he was able to do. So. Uh, you know, I, I certainly agree with you there. He eats a lot of hate, and uh, so does Isaac Yadam. Uh, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> how, uh, Speaking of linebackers and coverage and whatnot, how many linebackers in the league, across the entire league, do you think you could put on Travis Kelsey and, and find success? I mean, look at what uh, Fred Warner did in San Francisco. He had great coverage and still couldn't stop him from getting catches. That's where uh, that's where you you know you kind of draw the line. I, you know I think that a lot of these offenses are schemed, especially to go against zone defense. 
Where's the soft spot? Where's the inside linebacker? Is he creeping too far inside? If he is, we're going to sit in between him and the safety. Uh, if he cheats to the outside, we're going to go on the inside between him and the other inside backer. And we're going to sit there. And and Kelsey, you know, tight ends are big. They're sizable. They use their hips and they block out like, you know, like they're playing basketball. And they do a pretty good job of that. And uh, we saw pretty good coverage from the 49ers against Kelsey, and it still didn't matter. Great coverage, great throw. Uh, it doesn't even matter at that point. So you, you got to find a way to neutralize. Minimize the impact. But you can't obviously take away a lot of elements in the game, especially with how offenses are constructed now in the NFL. It's so crazy. So if if offenses are if offenses are built to attack zone defenses, then as a fan of a team that runs a primarily zone defense, how do you com- how do you combat that from a coaching standpoint? What can Vic Fangio do to not get exposed by Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs? I think the biggest thing that the Broncos would have to do against KC, okay, you got to stop the run first. You know, if you're going to go with a dime set, if you're going to go to cover all these guys in a trips or quads or empty formations, you got to be able to stop the run. Um, got to be able to stop the quarterback draw, but primarily with Damian Williams, he's a guy that is a physical runner. Uh, he was very impressive to me for Kansas City this year. Wasn't talked about enough because uh, Mahomes' mania is running wild as always and uh, kind of sickening, but uh, Damian Williams was a little bit of a workhorse that made that whole entire offense go in my opinion when healthy um if you can stop that run then you allocate okay which guy do i feel is the the better resource to be able to cover tyreek hill's speed okay we gotta have a guy that is uh pretty much you know he's a smart guy he may be i don't think anyone's gonna be close to like four two four three speed in that secondary unfortunately for uh, the broncos uh so how do we put our smartest guy and our guy that has the most speed on secondary we're gonna put him on tyreek hill and we're gonna allocate our resources over the top so more than likely you're gonna see justin simmons our best coverage safety he's gonna be over the top to tyreek's tyreek hill's side Every time you're going to dedicate some other coverage guys, a dime backer or your inside linebacker to drop to that hook to curl zone on the middle hook area against a tight end. And then you got to counteract. Okay. We have a guy that we feel like can match up pretty well with McCole Hardman. We're going to just rely on him. We're going to give him some help if needed, but we trust this guy to be able to do that. You allocate on what is the one option that can hurt us the most. You try to take that away and you're as a defensive coordinator, you're okay in the mindset. We're okay if this guy comes out and beats us. We want this guy to try to beat us rather than Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. We want to force these other guys to beat us. And if that happens, and look, uh, it happens. But we, we try to game plan to take away the best available option for that team. And I think for the Broncos, to be able to stop the run, you got to be able to get pa- uh, pass rush on Mahomes. We saw that in that snow game. The Broncos essentially couldn't even get to him at all. He had a clean pocket all day, and he just he shredded the Broncos. It was a it was a very, very difficult performance. So thank God for Justin Simmons giving us a little bit of a bright spot uh, on a very snowy day. All right, sticking with the Chiefs, this is not a misconception thing, so sorry. I'm derailing us a little bit. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> the inmates are running the asylum. It's Aaron, my you were supposed to be the one. It's my turn, uppercut. Sticking with the Chiefs for a second, they don't have a ton of cap room, and they're going to have to pay Patrick Mahomes pretty soon so they can't afford to backload contracts too much. What do you see them doing in free agency, if anything? Well, I think their biggest emphasis, they need a cornerback one, which, you know, you talk about their limited cap space right now. That is a big issue, especially if they want to make Mahomes the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Uh, They're rumored to be franchise tagging Chris Jones. That's going to be their priority. He doesn't want to be franchise tagged. He's not going to play on the franchise tag. So he's going to ask to be traded if they do franchise tag him. Um, that's going to command, he's going to command money as well. So I think the chiefs are going to focus on that 
that type of contract, bringing in a cornerback. They need another guy that can cover. Um, obviously, I felt like they did a pretty good job last year in their secondary. They improved under Steve Spagnolo. I think Tyron Matthew actually helped that secondary thrive a lot more. And uh, don't be surprised if Chris Harris Jr. takes a little bit of a pay cut to go play for Kansas City. I don't see him taking a pay cut, to be honest with you, just talking with Chris personally. Uh, he wants some money, and uh, rightfully so. I, I certainly understand that. Um, I, I just don't know at this point. I think they got to go cornerback, which makes me more inclined to believe that they're going to use their uh, their la- their first-round pick on a guy like Jeff Gladney out of TCU. Don't, don't do that to me, Cody. Don't do that to me, Cody. I love Gladney. He is, uh, he's one of my guys. Outside of Akuda, he is my cornerback, too. Um, I would love Gladney. He is all heart. Um, he's all over the place. I think he'd be a one, uh, you know, one of the guys to keep an eye on. I also like Amick Robertson out of La Tech, um, as, as well as Lamar Jackson. I feel like Lamar Jackson could be a hybrid safety corner guy in a Vic Fangio style of defense. So, uh, But, yeah, Jeff Gladney, uh, I'd be so happy if the Broncos were able to get him in round number two. No. <laughs> I, I I don't I don't believe that will happen. I will hope it happens. Consolation prize be Bryce Hall though. If they can target Bryce Hall, I'll still be upset, but I'll be less upset. I'll cry less about it in the thread that ha- happens. Value today. pick, baby, value pick. I think uh, Vic Fangio <laughs> would love a guy like Bryce Hall too. Just on that note, um, for cornerbacks, because we're still getting used to what Fangio wants and Fangio expects, and the number one buzzword for corners has been tackling ability. But what other traits should we be looking for in a Fangio corner besides tackling? I think you got to have a guy that's lengthy. He's got to have long arms, which is why I mentioned Xavier Rhodes a little bit earlier as a guy to watch if, you know, guys like Prince of Mukamara or Devontae Bosby are not brought back. Uh, but those guys are expected to be Denver Broncos in 2020. But uh, um, they need a guy that's lengthy. And especially when you can play some press zone where you can play cover three, uh, you can use your outside arm to jam that outside shoulder of the wide receiver and then climb vertically. Uh, the Broncos like to disguise a lot of their coverage. They'll show a too high safety look at times and they'll roll down uh, strong safety to the hook to curl. Simmons will, will float high around the middle of the field or he'll come down and he'll be in the run. So they like the flexibility between that. Um, I think, yeah, definitely. Your corner has got to have a little bit of size to him. I think he's got to be a little bit tall, um, obviously a little bit taller than Isaac Yadam, which, you know, I, I want to go back to one play, the L.A. Chargers game, uh, uh, Drew Locke's first start. It was a fourth and eleven. Isaac Adam had great coverage on Mike Williams. That was a great throw uh, by Phillip Rivers to a six foot four freaking nature. And Isaac Adam is six foot one. You got to have a guy that's at least maybe six two, six three. Uh, in my opinion, that's lengthy that can maybe make some of those plays. I feel like that's got to be one of the fits in Fangio's defense. But like I said too, because this I go back to my playing days. I wasn't the tallest. And I wasn't the lengthiest, but. I had to pride myself on being one of the smartest. And Vic Fangio loves those guys that are smart, that have tremendous football IQs, and that can be in position. And I think in a zone defense, it's really what you need primarily. You need guys that know where to be and how to evolve and how to adjust based on formations and where routes develop. And, uh, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things, Terry. You got to be smart. You got to be a little bit tall, and you got to be lanky, in my opinion. What'd you play? I played corner, actually. I played uh, I played outside, and I played inside in the slot in my final season before I tore my ACL. Um, so I did that for about uh, nine to ten years playing corner, and I played receiver for the first part of my career. Uh, decided I liked defense a lot more. I liked hitting people, and I, I liked uh, trying to bait quarterbacks. So I'd watch a lot of film, and, uh, yeah, I really tried to model a lot of my game after uh, Champ Bailey. You know, that's when I was a little bit of a young pup there. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely fun. Um, and definitely, you know, I think for me, I got a lot of my interceptions, not off of skill, but 
by being smart, being in the right place at the right time. And all my teammates would say that as well. I, I may have gotten a, a misconception about you by, by seeing you on, <clears throat> on camera and in pictures and stuff. How, what were your measurements then? <laughs> Dude, I'm a, I'm a five foot 10. I was a five ten, one 185 pound cornerback, slow white dude. Uh, my 40 yard was like probably for the majority of my career. Um, I ran a 4.92 and then my final season I worked, I actually hired a training coach, a speed coach. And I learned how to actually open up my stride for once. I had terrible hamstring and quad flexibility. That was one of my biggest issues. And so I think that's what led to me tearing my ACL. The year I actually got fast and I, I ended up running a 4.70 40-yard uh, dash, I tore my ACL. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of one of those things. Um, you know, you, you kind of evolved a little bit. I, you know, I upgraded my attributes on my own personal Madden in real life and unfortunately <laughs> led to a career-ending injury for me. So, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely wish I could go back and change that a little bit. Aaron, do you remember last week when I was using my tennis experience I, as I expertise sure. again to talk about sure cornerbacks do. yeah i was like i know how hips work because i played tennis <laughs> definitely you know i think you have to have hips if you're gonna play db you gotta have really good hips and uh, if you don't have good hips you're not gonna play db in the nfl yeah i have high school experience but mine's kind of tough to translate because cody you might get this i I'm sure uppercut won't because your football knowledge is a little newer, but I played an offensive line in a wing T offense. So <laughs> not a ton of concepts they use at the pro level anymore. Yeah, but you still have to be versatile in a wing T, man. So I, I love that. You know, we coaching high school ball, we see a lot of wing T still. Um, I always wondered, could the wing T make it in the NFL? Probably not. Uh, it's just how crazy NFL defenses have evolved and the talent that can stop a wing T uh, gets even crazier. So uh, it's kind of fortunate, you know, you get to see that sometimes at the college level still, uh, but primarily you see it at the high school level. But hey, man, that's awesome. Um, I always hate going against wing tees because they're a pain in the ass because they try to lure you to sleep with a run, and then all of a sudden they leak a tight end out, and, uh, you know, they try to get you over the top. 14, do you want to hear the joke I had ready for that? What? Uh, for the wing oh, tee? Oh, yeah, I had, a, oh. I had a joke, and it's so bad that I have to now talk about the joke as the joke instead of give the joke itself. I was going to ask if that's similar to Oolong. God. I'm, I'm <laughs> kicking you off of the podcast. That's fair. That's a fair trade. You're, you're done. Please log off now. <laughs> and take Craig with me. I will say back to wing tee real quick. I just... I do a fist pump every time because you see it a couple times a game in an NFL game. A team will run a real trap, not with a fullback, but with like a halfback. I do a little fist pump like, yeah, it's not dead. <laughs> the trap, is it's like the simplest play in football. It's literally your running back or fullback. It used to be done with a fullback. Now it's done with a running back. He just takes it full head of steam up the middle and the guard, the backside guard comes and he hits the first defensive lineman there. So it's called a trap because that defensive lineman's coming up and he's like, no one's blocking me. I'm going to make a huge tackle. You could see it in his head sometimes that like this guy thinks he's going to be on sports center. And then all of a sudden the backside guard just boom, blindsides him. <laughs> I love the kick out too. Those are the tightest plays to run. And actually our offense that we coach at the high school level here, we actually had variations of that too. We loved trap uh, because yeah, you get those guys on a free release. They thought they had it. They get too far afield and you run right underneath them. Or obviously your, your inside guy kicks him out, which is, you know, beautiful. It's poetry in motion. Um, and I think offensive line play is so beautiful that nobody really tends to see it. They don't get a lot of the glory. 
Uh, but the reality is, like, it's a moving chess piece the entire time. You pull a guard. Let's say you, you pull your left guard to the right side. He's got to seal back that defensive end or that edge rusher. And then as the play gets a little bit wider, he's also got to seal off that play side, inside back, or that safety that's trailing to try to make that play as well. So he's got to continue climbing up that level. Uh, it really is a beautiful work of art that, it, you know, not a lot of people talk about in the game of football. I like it when when the football players wear orange shirts. And for, for our listeners out there, this is why Cody gets paid. This is why D-Bronx deserves to get paid. And this is why Uppercut and I do this for fun on the side. I'm still a mod. I'm still a mod. You watch five minutes of film on the trap, and then that's it. You, you got to play. It's the simplest play in football, I promise you. But anyway, it, it's fun to watch. And I do recommend, like, that's a simpler pay, play to watch, you know, learn about it. And you'll see it in games sometimes, and you'll just be like, huh. I think that was a trap. And sometimes it does bust for like a nice little game out of nowhere. It's a fun play. Have you ever seen um, those uh, high-level chess players will the, where, <clears throat> sorry, where they'll play in their minds? They'll, they'll just announce the pieces, and they have the boards memorized. Yeah, yeah. Where they'll like not even be looking and be like, yeah, night to D. Whatever. Yeah, because yeah, they, yeah. Can, they can uh, keep track of every move and how the board looks at any given moment. And they can just speak chess at each other i want you and cody to do that right now cody cody does laps around me because i don't know anything about coverages i know a little bit about uh run blocking the pass blocking schemes in the nfl now i i don't i don't even understand half of them because mcchesney did some videos about it and, and some of the wasn't even the techniques it was just the communication between them you know when i was when I played offensive line, our pass protection schemes were very simple. And it would be the right side of the line would block the gap to their right. And then the left side would block the first man on the left side of the line of scrimmage. And then the left tackle would block the second man. And that was it. That was all your pass blocking. So, And you look in the NFL now, like these guys are doing crazy stuff. Quentin Nelson had a play where he's the left guard and he comes all the way backside to the right side, knocks a blitzing safety right off right off of his feet so he's a monster anyway. um to, to kind of go with your point there as well when you talk about the offensive line and, and everything else right there i think uh what a lot of people miss too is like the nfl is so different these guys don't spend a lot of time having contact in terms of the offensive line they just hit bags all day and that is where we might see some issues in terms of pass pro or run blocking because they don't always get a lot of live contact uh, obviously due to the NFL, the CBA rules and things like that. But primarily, you know, the old school offensive line coaches, they've had to adapt how they do things because you can no longer have as much contact as you want, which I think does impact uh, the play on Sunday. So I think a lot of the uh, the struggles of O-line play all across the league could be a little attributed to that as well. So for – I would make a lot – go ahead. That's all I was going to say. That would make a lot of sense because, you know, a lot of offensive line plays just – muscle memory that's the word i was looking for you know and even if you're doing walkthroughs you're not getting the same the same reps that you would get full speed so it, it, it's tough to develop like that I hey i have that. a i have a really embarrassing um football ignorance question for anybody who wants to answer it what happens during a walkthrough what is actually happening <laughs> i love this who wants to take it if, if nobody wants to take it i'll take it but uh, I love the no, all answer in unison and embarrass me as much as possible. Offensive line, we just pick our ass and do nothing. So, oh. 
Usually walkthroughs are a grab ass session. You know, you sit around. So for example, you get your whole team out there. You'll, you know, the coach will be like, all right, first team O, you know, first team O comes out there and they're either on air or they're against, you know, a scout team that just lines up and they're like, you know, stone blocking dummies. Defense goes over their drops, their responsibilities, their keys. Um, and then they see a scout offense come out with formations and they just recognize coverage. What are we checking if they motion this guy here? Uh, special teams, it's just a grab ass session as well, really from coaches saying, all right, you know, stay in your lane. If you don't, I'm going to pull your ass out and you're going to sit on the bench. Uh, it, it just ranges from a wide variety of those topics. You know, they just, it kind of goes over the game plan, the final preparations. Uh, do we know what our job responsibility is going to be? What happens when we see this? And then obviously, you know, sometimes uh, what you prepare for and walkthroughs. The moment you go out there on the game, they come out in something different and you have no idea what the hell is going on. And it's just like, oh, what do we do here? Just, okay, we'll stay in base and we'll just read and react from here and adjust as we go. Yeah, the title of this episode is going to be Cody's Grab-Ass Session. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember hearing when when Jake Butt tore his ACL again. And it was I, I remember reading it going, it was during a walkthrough. I was like, was he doing karate? What exactly was happening with Jake Butt that he tore his ACL during a walkthrough? But that explains it. Uh, it's just kind of horrible, too. In his situation, you're running routes and, you know, you go to, I mean, go back to Austin Fortune, the Hall of Fame game. He went up to go make a catch. He, uh, his, his foot came down kind of on the side of his uh, foot and then it buckled his knee. And it's just one of those freak things. And, you know, unfortunately for Jake Butt, uh, it's just something he had to encounter once again. It was really bummed out for him and obviously for Austin Fort. Um, as well, you know, non-contact injuries. That's how I tore my ACL was non-contact. I went to go plant my foot in the freaking turf to break down and my knee buckled. I thought I snapped my leg in half, but uh, tens, it was just my knee and, and my every ligament in my knee. So I definitely feel for him. And that's another subject too. If we were talking about like misconceptions, you know, I would definitely love to talk about Jake, but <laughs> it's completely out of his control. Um, but yeah, I certainly agree with you. Yeah. There's no reason not to keep Jake, Butt through training camp at the very least, right? Yeah, from my from what I've been told, he's going to be on the roster through training camp. If he uh, if he goes, they're going to see how he does. Um, I, is he going to be on the roster after training camp, though? I don't know. He doesn't have a big enough sample size right now in the NFL, which is super unfortunate for him, completely out of his control. But unfortunately, the the NFL, the business nature of it, they really don't care about that. Yeah, and there's there's what is the? It's currently ninety three. You can carry. Uh, I believe I believe it's a uh, I believe it's ninety. It's a ninety, 90 man okay. roster. It's yeah, fifty three ninety. Okay. Yeah, but there's I I expect there's very few players you're going to get at that eighty five to ninety spot that has the potential Jake Butt has. Like I I've seen some people who are just frustrated that he's been hurt for two straight years and has a history of it, where they're like he's taking up a spot. He's taking up a spot. I'm like, well, the spot's ninety. And you're not going to bring in necessarily somebody in those last handful of picks that's going to have the potential upside as Jake Butt. I guess to piggyback off the, the injury talk, and since we have you here, Cody, it seems like uh, it's been pretty dark around Bryce Callahan, both where he is and his recovery and what the team's plan is. Because I think it was it was Nikki recently that mentioned, Nikki Javala, that not only by September he will have missed 18 months of football, and he will have had two surgeries on the same foot. So I think it's fair to wonder, do they expect him to be a high-level starter by the time the season rolls around? Yes, they do. And his whole injury is crazy. And I'll kind of walk you guys through what really happened with him. Um, I, I knew probably in the first two weeks of the NFL season that he was not going to be coming back uh, for the entire year. And what happened was, is I, I mean, seeing him at training camp, 
playing on the boundary side on the outside at corner. Uh, he looked really good. He looked really good going against Cortland Sutton. I was really impressed. And I was like, okay, hey, look, this is why he's here. Um, you go to that stadium scrimmage at Empower Field a mile high. He gets his foot stepped on. And so what happened at that point, uh, they, they believe that the screw that was placed in his foot wasn't placed properly. Him getting it stepped on sort of bent it and wrapped it around a portion of his bone, which caused severe inflammation on the top of his foot and also a lot of pain. And so for him, they wanted to do a non-surgical procedure to see how it worked. It didn't work, so they decided to go all in um, probably midway through the season and say, okay, look, he's going to get another surgery, and we're going to see where it goes. And it was just one of those things where it was just a freak accident, a freak injury. And granted, I get the concerns. I mean, Broncos country right now is very worried about, you know, we're paying these guys that, uh, you know, they haven't played and they've been injured. But really, like I said, it was completely out of his control. He looked really good in training camp, and he was expected that, you know, they were hoping he could come back. But it ended up breaking that screw and bending it around his bone. That is something you really can't play with. Um, it's very painful. And for him, uh, he had no relief. There was no relief no matter what efforts they tried. They tried massage therapy. They tried acupuncture. They tried a whole variety of things, and it just didn't work out for him. Uh, right now, he's actually – he says he feels a lot better right now in comparison to where he was at this time last year. He feels really good. Everything's going really well with the doctors. They say everything is healing properly. He should be ready to go for OTAs, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Broncos ease him in because you really don't have to throw guys in and have them do all the stuff. Probably they want to get him working out a little bit. So once he's clear to start running and doing some of those things, he's probably going to go start doing some footwork, some drill work, work on his cardio a little bit, um, and just get the flow back going because it's been a while since he's been able to do what you know he's going to be paid to do. So I'd, I'd expect that we might see a little bit of a, a pause at the first beginning of when the Broncos can report on field of him being maybe limited or not doing too much. They're going to ease him back into it. But he's expected to be completely ready for 2020, barring some kind of freak accident once again. Could you could you just for me? Could you repeat that part about Callahan being on Sutton during training camp? <laughs> yes. So uh, they're playing a cover three or a cover four is one of the two, and Bryce Callahan was actually playing five yards off the ball. He was shaded outside leverage, um, and based on the formation. So what the Broncos do? They run a lot of variations. They run some checks, and there was a time where they motioned a guy across the formation to Sutton side, which the Broncos checked into a cover two. I saw Bryce Callahan come up, play outside leverage, jam Cortland Sutton right on his hip as he climbed vertically. And he was almost like they were trying to run that out route, the, the 12 back to 10 out route to the sticks. He covered that route perfectly, uh, forced an incompletion. Uh, but stride for stride, on the hip of Cortland Sutton, who had the size advantage, he's one of those smart players, which is why Vic Fangio loves him so much. You can see how smart he was um, and what he lacked in terms of size. He made up for with his brain play, and uh, it was definitely it was awesome to see. And that's where we started to see the rise of Cortland Sutton a little bit. I mean, he evolved so much in his route running, and uh, this is where the issue with him and Emmanuel Sanders started because Sutton was making tremendous strides. And I think Sanders' frustration of being limited in practice uh, that was something that was kind of pissing him off a little bit. And not because he was mad he wasn't getting there, but because he saw that Sutton was rising a little bit. And all of a sudden, Sutton you know, was talking to the media. He's like, I'm preparing like I'm the number one wide receiver. And Sanders was like, what have you done yet in the NFL? So that's where we saw them come to blows. They obviously buried the hatch. They got a lot of love for each other now. But it's one of those things when you're with each other every day, all day long, and at the team hotel, Things can build up a little bit, especially in that receiver room. But Coach Zani's done a great job managing those personalities. But yes, uh, Bryce Callahan, he looked really good, and I expect things to continue when he returns healthy.
Yeah, I see constantly over and over that Callahan is exclusive slot. Callahan is exclusive slot in the same way that Chris kind of got pigeonholed a little bit. And it's nice. It's nice to hear somebody, somebody with clout. Yeah, and he's, uh, you know, and Bryce would play a little bit of the slot in a sub or nickel package for Fangio in certain situations, more than likely to match up on probably a speedier guy. Um, that's where they kind of want to utilize him a little bit. But, uh, yeah, playing on the outside is is primarily where they had him this year, and that was due to the fact that Chris Harris Jr. was a very good slot corner uh, in the NFL, and they didn't really want to change that up. And, you know, when Bryce went down with an injury, it, it had to force Chris Harris to the outside. And that's where I think the defense really got hurt because uh, we were used to seeing production in the slot from a DB. And when you don't have Chris there primarily anymore, you haven't played him on the outside, playing off coverage, things look different. So, you know, a six-yard completion, oh, my gosh, Chris Harris Jr.'s washed. Or when they'd run an over route against a cover three and they'd go completely across the formation, Oh, Chris Harris Jr. didn't even go with him. He's washed. Well, that's zone coverage. And you got twins to the left side. Those two guys are running vertical and across the whole entire field where Chris Harris Jr. still has to get deep down the field on the other side for those guys that are on the opposite side of the field coming across to his zone. So uh, it's just so tricky. It's so complicated. And, uh, you know, I think not a lot of people see that. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of fans are still stuck in the mindset of a fair amount of man coverage where it's very easy to say CB1, CB2, slot CB, things like that. And Fangio coming in and, and implementing a much heavier zone thing where the, um, and I think Indy, uh, whatever his name was, Indy last week talked about how the DBs have to act more like a unit, uh, a full body in the backfield or not the backfield, but the secondary, as opposed to putting one guy on one guy. And I, I feel like a lot of the fans haven't quite grasped that idea yet. So saying CB1, CB2 is technically accurate, but it's a little misleading. All right. Hey, guys, uh, I'm seeing possibly some breaking news uh, at this point. I wouldn't call it more than a rumor, but uh, you guys know Hub Arkish. You recognize that name, anybody? Uh, he's a sideline reporter for Westwood One, so he does football on the radio. He is tweeting... Uh, quote, according to my sources, NFL draft extravaganza in Las Vegas is already off, just not announced yet. An actual draft will be postponed until mid to late May, as soon as NFLPA decision on the new CBA is announced. What are your thoughts? This, this is intriguing. If it's true, I haven't seen anything yet, but... Uh, this sits back, obviously, rookie minicamp. And you, the one reason they have minicamp, you know, a little bit shortly after the NFL draft is because they want to get these guys up to speed. That is going to throw things off completely. Um, I'm, I'm really I'm really shocked right now if that would be the case. We'll see. Obviously, waiting an official announcement, but uh, it could completely delay everything if they do decide to go with that factor. I don't know how beneficial it would be. I think it'd be a detriment to the league and a lot of the young players, to be honest with you. Um, but eager to see how the NFL approaches. I think the reason we haven't seen an official announcement yet, because, you know, today is March 14th on Saturday and there's still, you know, over a month left until the NFL draft. So I'm, I'm going to be really intrigued to see what really happens. I think the NFL is biding their time, but um, if an announcement does happen, I'd expect it to be midweek or maybe towards the Friday of next week. So I don't know. Yeah, but that's interesting for sure. I don't, I don't think I'd like that. This is all. This would all be about spectacle and and bombast, right? Because I imagine there would be a way to conduct the draft with minimal exposure to different people. It wouldn't be a big fanfare event that lots of money and viewership is brought in. But well, this has got. That's the way that it's it was done until I don't know the maybe late '90s or early 2000s. Yeah, but nobody was born then. 
<laughs> well, look at the uh, look at the UFC and look at like you know entertainment like the WWE doing these things with no fans. You know, UFC just did an event today where they had no fans in attendance. They had the ring announcers, they had the the sideline girls with the the round cards. They had a uh, you know Dana White obviously standing there. I feel like the NFL draft they could still do it. They could bring in just the the primary broadcast team that provides us you know coverage. And I think that they can have the prospects that are invited to the NFL draft and their families, and that just be it. Remove the fan experience. Heck, pump fan noise into the crowd. Pump the booze of Roger Goodell in every time he walks up to the podium. You still get the real thing. So I, I think that they could they could do that. Uh, will they, though? I don't know. You know. I think the NFL is all about the dollar, and I think the biggest thing right now, uh, despite it, is preserving that dollar. And you know, by delaying that, I feel like it would impact that. So uh, there's definitely ways to still do it, even if, uh, you know, you don't have the fan experience there in Vegas, which, you know, you can catch a lot more things in Vegas than the coronavirus. You think we could start <laughs> like a GoFundMe to get Shannon Sharp just to announce everything, like from his couch? <laughs> I would pay for that. Yeah, you just feel like have have them text the draft picks in for or him. Or Pat McAfee. Well, both together. Just Just give Pat Skip's show. Just make that the new show. Skip. <laughs> I'm out of Tangelo's voice. I'm moving on to the lime. Stock up for the apocalypse with those, or are you running low? Oh, I'm I'm building my pirate ship, and I need to like get used to the taste to prevent scurvy. Oh man, you know how every dad has like that one fact that they always like tell you about. Like, did you know this? That's my dad's fact. He's like, did you know pirates got scurvy because they didn't have vitamin C? I was like, yes, because you've told me a hundred times. But anyway, right on tangent. But every time scurvy gets brought up, I think of my dad telling me the same damn story for the hundredth time. And now you know, you'll never get scurvy. Oh, at least if you get scurvy, it'll be your own damn fault. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Sorry, but that just reminded me of that. This has been our weekly Tangelo tangent. We were talking about limes. You were talking about Tangelo's first. Tangelo's not have vitamin C? I don't know. I imagine, imagine they it. do. They are orange, though, which is a real good thing. This is what we're talking about, Cody. This is how the podcast usually ends up. At a certain point, we can hey, talking about the fruit I'm currently I like eating. it. I like it. Uh, earlier, I was a little bit lost in the sauce with all the hot sauces I was trying, so it's all good. What were we talking about before? Misconceptions? We've busted so many misconceptions. We're going to start that as a new show. That's the new podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Misconception Busters, the new podcast. Oh, man. Well, we had, we were planning on talking about the misconceptions, and then throughout, you know, just having a general discussion, I think we brought them all up. Offensive line, tight ends, Todd Davis. I guess the Isaac Adam was Callahan. the only thing, because I... I You've mentioned that, Cody. Um, I mean, I, I'll be I'll be the first to admit his performance against Darren Waller, which in retrospect now that he's a Pro Bowl tight end, doesn't look as bad. Because week one, it was like, all right, this guy that was a fringe practice squad player is abusing our third-round corner. So I guess um, yeah, what are your thoughts on Isaac Yadam? Because I, I know you were saying there were some misconceptions about him. Yeah, you know, I think it all stemmed from that week one matchup against Darren Waller. You know, John Gruden, in my opinion, did a phenomenal job recognizing that Yadam was a smaller guy 
on the outside. He tried to maneuver lineups to be able to get Waller one-on-one. And Waller, a lot of what he did was the hitch and the curl routes, and he just posted up. And Yadam had to had to tackle him. He's a big physical guy. And and really, it's hard when you're a little undersized as a cornerback going against a guy who's a freakishly sized tight end, wide receiver hybrid guy. And Waller is a fast dude. I don't think a lot of people realize that he's a pretty fast dude. And if you don't believe me, go back to the week 17 game against the Raiders at Empower Field at Mile High. He blocks for one, one, 1,000 chip releases, quick screen game, and he takes it 75 yards down the field. Luckily, Will Parks made a touchdown saving tackle, um, and the Broncos would hold them to a field goal, luckily. Uh, but Yadam, you know, he still has a lot of growing to do. You know, a lot of it for him is confidence. The one thing that he ran into, uh, I'd say, throughout the beginning of the season was. He would have those plays happen to him, you know, where Waller catches it or you have Tyrell Williams catching a, you know, 25 yard pass down the field on a deep post pattern and you're not in position there. And then you have some moments against Chicago. Then you go against Devontae Adams against the Green Bay Packers and you have a couple of moments there. That's why Devontae Bosby got placed in in front of him. And then he gets to start against the L.A. Chargers, gets friendly fired. The Adam gets back in against Mike Williams. He struggled with confidence. And then he worked his tail off in practice because Devontae Harris at this point was a starting corner for the Broncos, who was a nice addition as well, a guy who rose up a little bit. But once he came back down to reality a little bit himself, he had his struggles against Buffalo, against Cole Beasley, against the Minnesota Vikings. And then Isaac Adam had a great practice. And Vic Fangio's like, all right, we're going to try something different. Isaac Adam's back in the lineup. He played really good the second half of the season and secured that spot as the Broncos' opposite corner of Chris Harris Jr. And, you know, like I said, I go back to that play. Mike Williams right before halftime. This is the second quarter, I believe, like the final minute of the first half against the Chargers. Uh, Mike Williams has a 52-yard reception. It's not Isaac Adams' fault, but the, the play designed by the Chargers, the Broncos were a little bit of man coverage there. Simmons comes down to try to help out over the top and runs into Yadam, leading to a big play. All of a sudden, get Yadam off the team. He's burnt. He's garbage. But the reality is, look, his teammate took him out. He's over the top. He's keeping Mike Williams in front of him. He gets taken out, and of course, Mike Williams is going to be wide open. Uh, so that was one of those plays where you see an error. You go to the fourth and one, uh, fourth and eleven play. You throw a jump ball there. Yadam is hip to hip, great coverage, and uh, Williams holds his hand out, gets the ball uh, in a place where only he could get it, where Phil Rivers placed it well um, for him. And you go to make a play in the football, and it's just not there. I mean, you live to you live with those plays. You're gonna you're gonna have receivers catch those passes on you as a DB. If you dwell on it, you shake your head. Then all of a sudden, things are gonna be mad. I love, for example, in week 17. They, uh, they called P.I. on Yadam, and he lost his marbles. He got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. He was pissed because he felt like um, he intercepted that pass, in which you go back on the replay, I felt like he did intercept it, uh, but they gave it to him, and you know he stays out there in the final minute. Thank goodness for Shelby Harris. He gets his hand up, not uh, knocks it down, and the Broncos going to win, but uh, Yadam took strides. He's a guy that's the first DB on the field for the Broncos. He's constantly working on technique. His hand placement, he works jam with the DB coach, Ronaldo Hill. He also works on his footwork a lot. He's the first DB out on the field. He's the last one to leave. That's one thing I noticed about him. I love Isaac Adam. I think it's only a matter of time before he really finds his niche and gets really comfortable uh, in this big Fangio defense. So you said you think it's a matter of time. Is there a transition period for defensive backs, or do you think that's more of a myth? Do you think – you know, it takes a couple of years maybe for a guy to get comfortable and acclimated to the NFL level. Or do you think, I don't know, that's something made up by fans? Well, that's only for punters. 
<laughs> punters take years to develop so colby Watman should be having an amazing year this year uh hopefully um but yeah that's another story but uh, in terms of dbs you know i don't think there's really any specific answer to that question i think everything's different db is a very hard position uh i think it's one of the most demanding positions in football because essentially you don't know the play you're reacting to the receiver in front of you fast guys guys are super fast and you're doing it while technically running backwards um that it's it's very hard you got to react a lot you got to be smart you got to have great hips you got to have great footwork you got to be able to read the hips of the wide receiver uh, a lot of dbs make the mistake of looking at the head um, or the eyes of the receiver that's how you lose battles that's how you lose your one-on-one coverages um i i really don't think that there's a timeline that says okay this guy's going to figure it out sometimes we see dbs coming to the league i mean look at jamal adams for example he's a stud he was a stud right away uh coming in um it, it takes some time same thing with justin simmons it took some time for him with chris harris jr it took a little bit of time with him as well um you you meet those rare guys like a champ bailey or a darrell revis that just come in and they're automatically these lockdown guys. Um, I think Jeff Okuda could be the next lockdown guy that we see uh, on paper right now. I think it's way too early to predict, but if I had to predict it on uh, too early prediction, it's definitely my pick is of him. Um, I, I think for Isaac Adam, it's a big offseason for him. 2020 is going to be big. Training camp is going to be huge. If he doesn't have a very good training camp, I could see the Broncos parting ways with him, uh, which would be unfortunate. But I know that Vic Fangio really likes him, and he's going to find a way to make this team, and uh, it's going to be a grind this uh, summer. So with all of that said, and uh, we've talked about some of the other guys that are on the team as well, do you think that adding another cornerback is a priority for the Broncos? I would say it is one of their priorities, probably not the top priority right now with Boye, uh, Callahan. Obviously, they want to look at bringing in Prince Mukamara. I think that might be a day one deal that we see. I mean, the Broncos technically could sign Prince Mukamara right now if they wanted to because the Bears had released him. Um, I think that's going to be one of the first wave signings that we do see. Um, you're going to see that probably alongside Devontae Bosby. And uh, I think that's going to be one of the areas. John Elway uh, at the NFL Scouting Combine alongside Vic Fangio said we need to get better at that position. So certainly they're going to be taking a hard look at trying to upgrade that position right away. And that was way before the A.J. Boye trade. So they got a piece there. Is the Boye trade enough, in my opinion, at corner? Not necessarily. I still think you need a little bit more there. I do like the Broncos' depth, though. Devontae Harris uh, could develop nicely. And I think this Broncos coaching staff is dedicated to developing rather than just bringing in guys and, and pawning them off and, and getting rid of certain guys. It's, it's all about development for these guys, for when the older guys decide to go elsewhere, their contracts expire then some of these young guys can rise into those positions and have experience in a system. I think that's going to be the biggest thing for this Broncos team and, and certainly where they're going to be focusing their efforts. There's, there's, here's the thing for, from Broncos fans that I see a lot, and I try and curb my responses to it. What do you think of Bosby? Small sample size, um, but what we saw early on I liked. Now, going back in the preseason, I mean – Chris Harris Jr. didn't play it all in the preseason. The Broncos started Bosby and Yadam on the outside, and they looked pretty good. Bosby, there was one point in the training camp where I think Vic Fangio had mentioned uh, Bosby's got to decide if he wants to be a pro or not, and I think that really lit a fire under Bosby's tail. Um, I want to go to that, uh, that Green Bay Packers game at Lambeau Field week three. Man, he gets inserted into the starting lineup after Yadam's struggling, gets benched, and he goes against Devontae Adams, who runs an out route. Um, he does a phenomenal job breaking on that ball, and He's quick, he's decisive, and he's lengthy. And he's a Vic Fangio style of fit in this defense. 
I think what we saw from him, the small sample size is good, but is it enough to be like, hey, you know, hey, let's sign this guy to a three-year deal. That's why the Broncos did not offer a tender on him. More than likely, that's why they're going to try to bring him back on a more team-friendly deal, and he's going to have to come back in and prove it. Um, unfortunately for him, suffering that crazy injury where for 30 minutes he was temporarily paralyzed. So I'm just glad that he's walking again, and uh, I think he can be a valuable player for this Broncos defense. I just want you to say it one just for me one more time. Limited sample size. Limited sample size. On oh, Martin. good. Thank you. That's all I wanted. That's the I mean, that's the fight I keep having. Football reference. They keep track of snaps, and I'm trying to pull it up here real quick. But he only got defensive snaps in like the Green Bay game, Jacksonville, and then 13 plays of the Chargers, and some fans were ready to pencil him in as CB2, which I thought was absurd. Way but too anyway. early. Yeah, Way he played eight eight meaningful quarters of football. Wild. Yeah, and he had good action, but like you like you mentioned, in eight quarters, two games, essentially not enough of, of a sample size because the same thing could be said for Devontae Harris, who through, I believe, two or three games looked pretty dang good. And then against Buffalo and Minnesota, he looked absolutely just off. He struggled massively. A real blast from the past, Cody. Do you remember... Uh... I think that was a 2013 team, a guy named Duke Iannaccio. Oh, I love Duke Iannaccio. Yeah, he went on to go play for the Washington Redskins and then is no longer in the NFL. Yeah, it was short-lived One of the career. all-time great Broncos names. Oh, my goodness. That Super Bowl matchup, I just remember him trying to do kill shots, and he just he missed, like, Percy Harvin and all. Seattle just had a field day against Denver that day. It was horrible. Uh, nightmares. I loved him as a guy that would come up and play physical in the box, but, yeah, he had his struggles. And I remember – Broncos fans were saying, hey, we need to re-sign him long-term. He's going to be one of the, the best Broncos safeties for years to come. And he got cut the, the August of the next year. But Because I, I just remember him. like He was a guy that was super hyped up because Uppercut uh, does a good job of um, compiling tweets we get for training camp. And he was one of the first guys I remember. It was like every 10 seconds, like, Duke Iannaccio picks off Peyton Manning. Duke Iannaccio lays out Demarius Thomas. And then Everyone was expecting, like, oh, cool, we just got this Pro Bowl safety off of our pack practice squad. And by October, it was like, eh, Cody, I don't think so. Cody Latimer <laughs> is killing it in Broncos practice against the Houston Texans. <laughs> oh, Jarvis Landry. I'm not getting burnt like that again. I hope Devontae Bosby develops and becomes the guy we need him to, but I learned my lesson. <laughs> not doing that again. So is there – I don't know if you've already covered it. Is there like a great misconception you see uh, across fandom for football or for Broncos that you, you just like, this needs to be corrected? You know, I, I don't like to tell people how to be fans. Um, I moderate a Broncos group on Facebook. And I tell you what, gentlemen, this has been, uh, it's the worst experience I've ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, the amount of posts that you have to go through and delete and block people, be, just because of the fact that it gets very vulgar and very derogatory and that people are just really just hateful and rude to each other. Solidarity, um, brother. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's rough. If you guys want to have like uh, a migraine, go to Broncos Facebook group. Groups, and I guarantee you, you'll never want to go back ever again. Uh, but I'd say the biggest thing for fandom is, you know, we, we live in such a reactionary time or we search for instant gratification when it comes to a player or a play or a sequence of events. And it just causes the the snowball effect of negativity. And, you know, I think uh, the best way to see situations is by kind of distancing yourself a little bit from it. Like for me, 
you know, I'll make my observations on Twitter or live streaming, which I'm going to be doing live streaming during the games, actually, um, and video broadcasting my reaction, breaking the game down live uh, this upcoming season. Uh, rather than just like reacting right away and making a judgment, I, I allow 24 to 48 hours to process, watch the film, and then I take notes again. And I think that is that's the crucial part. But we live in such a knee-jerk reaction time. You know, a guy catches a three-step slant across the field and gets maybe five or six yards. It's, oh, my gosh, fire the defense coordinator, fire Fangio. Uh, I, I just think that the instant reaction, which is I think it will never change. It's something that we're unfortunately going to have to deal with. I just feel like the misconception is that uh, when a play happens or, if, for example, a cornerback gives up a three-yard catch or a six-yard catch, it doesn't make doesn't mean they suck. It doesn't mean they're washed. It just means that, you know, hey, look, it happens. We don't see that perfection anymore in the NFL. You don't see the shutdown corners anymore because the game has changed so much. So um, outside of that, I would say uh, we just have to be realistic with our expectations. I feel like we're not often at times. A lot of fans have these superior expectations. And when they're not being met, it sets up for a tremendous disappointment and, and shame. And I think that's where we fall into the trap, uh, to be honest with you, as fandoms. I imagine Facebook is worse because that is less demographic based. There's there's more traffic you're going to get in there, and there's going to be much more of a tech savvy group that comes into Reddit. But holy crap, those game threads! Some of you people are are, are racist. <laughs> oh yeah, that's another thing. You can oh use. my wow. goodness, as we get uh, sometimes, you know several thousand people in a thread at once and it's going by so quickly and i'm just going through like i hope the other people are, are reporting these few if i if this might get cut just because i don't want to necessarily but i'll mention it anyway the preseason um there were some not nice things said about kalfani muhammad based on his name yep, i remember those as well it's like how ignorant can uh, can people be? It's just like you look at Kalfani Muhammad. There's there's no correlation. It's like we, that's the type of society we live in. And uh, to be honest with you, there's a whole population of people that you know. I think they're older too. Uh, not necessarily the younger demographics, but probably in like the fifty to sixty age range, or like forty five to sixty age range. And a lot of them are, you know, they have very strong views. And I remember when the whole kneeling thing was happening. I mean, the, the amount of racism that we saw when it pertains to National Football League and its players, and even like the Broncos in general, it was widespread. Yeah, I, I do think I would like to applaud most of Reddit and the subreddit. They do a good job of policing that a lot of the time and a lot of time in those multi-thousand people threads. Um, things go by so fast. Nobody's reading everything. Not everyone's going to catch everything. Uh, hopefully. Our automated system does some stuff. Hopefully, I catch some stuff. Hopefully, the other mods catch some stuff, stuff like that. But the overwhelming amount of people on there, maybe they get a little hot takey sometimes or knee-jerky, like you said. But I think they're mostly good people and not pigs. I just used the uh, the game threads this year to shit on Joe Flacco all year. Just be like, yep, there's Joe Flacco. Yep, there's Joe Flacco every game. <laughs> and there was be one. There would be some people that still defended him, no matter how bad he was. What did you think, Cody, of mind. the Joe Flacco trade when it happened? What were your thoughts at the time? Man, I, you know, to be honest with you, I was one of those guys that looked at it. It was like, okay, you know, let's see what this could do. Maybe Joe Flacco, you know, maybe he could benefit from a change of scenery. Maybe he could be in a system, you know, if you look at the style of offense that Rich Scandrill plans to run, you go back to when it was ran with him with Gary Kubiak as the OC. I mean, that was the plan, too. They were planning on bringing in Gary Kubiak uh, to be the OC as well, to have an offensive kind of consultant role with this team to help Rich Scandrill out. 
Um, that didn't obviously work out due to differing viewpoints between Pat Bolin and uh, just the situation because the Broncos didn't want to bring back uh, some of the other guys that were attached with Gary Kubiak. Um, but outside of that, I would say one of the things that we ran into uh, especially with Joe Flacco, is that maybe he could be a guy that comes in and has some success. But outside of that, uh, I think hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, he looked good in training camp. I mean, between him and Drew Locke, they also had competition for the best hair on the team. Um, but really, we didn't see a lot in terms of the preseason and the regular season. Now, I think the first two weeks, Joe Flacco had good moments. Um, I think his biggest issue all along, and I'll, I'll say this is accuracy in my opinion, uh, he, you know, he had pretty decent accuracy, but his biggest issue was holding on the ball too long and staring down Cortland Sutton and uh, forcing it into some areas he shouldn't have. And I go back to that uh, pick that Kyle Fuller had against the Broncos week two on the goal line uh, against Manuel Sanders. It would have been a touchdown. Could have gave the Broncos a chance to lead that game. And uh, he threw it outside where, you know, uh, Fuller was ha had outside leverage. So there were times he regressed in terms of reading the defense. And that, to me, I think ultimately was the downfall. Not mobile, held on the ball too long, and uh, just wasn't the guy. Didn't have that uh, passion. Didn't have any kind of leadership element to him that you could see on field that could rally guys. And so I think that's really um, when I look back on it. I thought the trade was going to be a, a decent pickup for the Broncos, but you know, ultimately it didn't turn out. I'm glad you mentioned the leadership because, I mean, we're just – Besides you, Cody, the rest of us are just laymen, so we don't really know what we're talking about. But speak for yourself, I fourteen. No, go ahead, speak for Sorry. all of us, fourteen. <laughs> no, I, I was gonna say, like, you know, you can body language is easy to read. It was the same thing with Jay Cutler, but yet people kept defending him as being like, "Oh, he's actually like just really good behind the scenes or whatever." And it's like, I mean, maybe he is, but it's hard to buy it when, especially the, the Chiefs. What was that Thursday night or Monday? Thursday night. That game was just. I don't know how they started them for the Colts game. That was wild. <laughs> they didn't really have an option at that point. Um, you know, I think the whole thing with Drew Locke's timeline, his progress, that's where they were really forced to make a decision on Brandon Allen. And, I mean, the Colts game, I remember that last shot, one of the shots that he took, and then the last shot he took at the end of the game, I, I thought he was going to have to be carted out. Now, I liked his uh, post-game speech about being aggressive. I actually liked that. I think I think that was something we missed. We finally saw some fire from him. Uh, but ultimately, you know, that was the decision. Okay, he's got a season-ending injury. We're going to place him on IR. Drew Locke's not ready to be back yet. I know a lot of fans wanted him to start right away, but the Broncos, uh, he was just not ready. And having the extra time to prepare, I think, really benefited Drew Locke when he did make his first start. Real quick, you mentioned Brandon Allen. Do you see him returning to this team like, do you see that as any kind of possibility or completely out of the question? You know, I see it as a possibility right now. I mean, the Broncos, they they want to maybe take a look at some veteran options and free agency, you know, maybe a Case Keenum, Marcus Mariota. But I, I don't think Marcus Mariota wants to be a backup just yet. I think there's some NFL teams out there that he could possibly start for. In my opinion, I feel like the Las Vegas Raiders are going to make the strongest push for Mariota. Um, as I mentioned, I don't think Tom Brady's going to be leaving New England. I think he's going to stay there. Um, I don't think the, the Raiders are going to be in contention for that. Um, but outside of that, you know, I think uh, I think Brandon Allen does have a chance because he he did prove to be a little bit of a serviceable backup. Now that Minnesota Vikings game, um, you know, I, I saw a lot of things from Brandon Allen that I was like, wow, this guy, you know, he's taking chances. And to be honest with you, I mean, he's a, you know, the last second of the game, uh, a no call PI, no call face mask away from the Broncos winning that game. I mean, there was even one play where he, you know, they faked the inside run on fourth and one to Philip Lindsay. Brandon Allen actually kept it, and he kept it to the right side. If no offense stays on his block a little longer, Brandon Allen runs in for a touchdown. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, um, and the Broncos going to lose that game. Now, Buffalo, you know, you're playing in these high-degree wins. Um, I remember the wind was such a big factor. You have a lot of penalties. I'm, I'm 
uh, Reisner had a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty or an unnecessary roughness penalty. The Broncos faced so many long uh, field situations in that Buffalo game. They just didn't have a chance from the very beginning. Um, but I did like what I seen from a little bit of a small sample size in a guy like Brandon Allen. I think he can operate the system really well. <laughs> I love the silences. Let me let me clear something up. I'm silent a lot of the show because I am just sitting here and soaking up information from Cody. This is I know he's too damn seriously. concise. He's <laughs> too plethoric. It's, it's it's a treat to have you on, Cody. This is um. This is really cool for for me, and I'm sure it is for Uppercut and 14 as well. I, I you know, I, I like jumping on, and you know, I I don't ever want to view myself as anybody that you know knows more. I like to include everybody in what I do, and I I love everybody's viewpoints and perspectives. I think everybody always brings a unique uh, perspective to the table to the conversation, and uh, you know, I've I've loved doing this with you guys. I think you guys have a great insight on the game too, and. You know, you, you don't have to know everything to be able to to be able to talk football. And I think you guys do a phenomenal job. Your knowledge is actually a lot superior in comparison to sometimes what conversations I do get, because um, I have a lot of conversations every day. And some of the conversations, I just kind of scratch my head. But these ones, I mean, I'm having fun with this. This is awesome. If you came out of this conversation thinking you didn't bring more to the table than me, then I kind of doubt and question your analytical abilities. <laughs> Did Cody point out that the Broncos wear orange? I'm pretty sure you were the only one that did I that. I am. I'm the only one bringing that to this whole the fandom, did. really. I'm the only one who wants to emphasize it. Okay, here's the question for Cody. Orange or the blues? Mm, I like the blue jerseys. I, you know, I, I want them to He's go. gone. I want He's them gone. to go. It's been great. Banned. Banned. Uh, kicked. <laughs> banned. Hey, I, episode, guys. Bye. I like the blue and blue. The blue uh, unis and the blue pants combo with the orange stripes. I like that. Um, I know a lot of even Broncos players want to go back to the blue. You know, there's nothing. Oh, they're off, off the team. Crazy. Um, off yeah, the team. Just go a, be a cowboy. Joe Ellis had said that many players have approached him about going back to the blue and whites. I prefer the blue and blues if they're ever going to do the blues at all. Um, I do like those jerseys, but I like the color rush jerseys, to be honest with you. If they can make that the home jersey every game, I would be, I'd be so stoked. Oh, I don't even like the color rush. What? Everyone's wrong except me about this, okay? Oh. Blues are terrible. Color rush does look like a pumpkin. CJ was right. And and all orange. How, what's your complaint? Because, literally because when you have that much orange, um, the navy looks black. And so it looks like a Halloween costume. The the comment today on our NFL about that, that the blue looks like black compared anyway. I also I mean, we could always bring back the uh, the brown and the yellow old AFL uh, jerseys. I'm sure that would go over really well. I'm I'm sitting here right now, able to look up and see my brown and yellow Eddie Royal jersey from 2009. Hey, and I'm there's another name too from that year, Jack Williams. He played in the nickel uh, at the corner position against Julian Edelman and Wes Welker. Towards ACL that year, and he was out of the league. He was a guy that was up and coming for the Broncos too, but. Gosh, what a year. I'll, I'll never forget the Josh McDaniels fist pump after beating the Patriots in that game. But Brandon Marshall rising up on that catch, uh, I, you felt like things were turning around, and then we were just uh, we were bamboozled. I felt lied to. I feel like dropping that Stephen yeah. A. Smith uh, video right here about that. I, I'll fully admit I drank the Kool-Aid 100% on McDaniels when he first got here, but there were signs that that wasn't going to last. The first game was the Bengals game where Brandon Stokely catches the tip for a walk-off touchdown. You know, that, that was a great that sound was too. What's the, oh, the Stokely? Stokely I actually, that was one wow. of the, the 
Michael did watch the game in person, but I, I saw the highlights after. It was crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> tune in every week for this kind of content. We're the only ones who will bring you positive Josh McDaniels memories. <laughs> All we're trying to do is win a game. I love that. That was great. Well, okay. we keep hitting silences, and I feel like that means something. Yeah, are we ready to wrap this up? I think we're ready to wrap this up, but because we have such a special guest, let's go ahead and let him plug whatever he wants. His stuff, somebody else's stuff, hot sauces, socks. What? Well, thank you for the opportunity, Uppercut, but I'll let Cody go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you know, thank you guys for having me. Very hospitable. Love uh, that you guys decided to do a podcast. When you guys had mentioned that on Reddit, I was like, hey, this is a great idea. You get a lot of different perspectives. One of the biggest, uh, you know, community gatherings for the Broncos, I feel like, is consistent. A lot of great content. Uh, always a lot of great punnies. I'll, I'll, I'll always love the Von Miller bot that we get in all of our discussions anytime Von Miller is mentioned. Love that. Um, but, you know, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Cody Rourke NFL. If I'm not following you, just let me know. I'll follow you back. I, I tend to filter out a lot of my stuff, my uh, content says, because sometimes, you know, you get a lot of trolls um, in the mentions. I don't have time. I, I'm, I'm all positivity type guy. I like good interactions, even if we disagree. Um, you guys can also text me now. I, I send out Broncos news when I get it. Uh, 303-529-6323. Add yourself to my contact list and engage with the hundreds of Broncos fans that are texting me every single day. We do text message Tuesday. We read your text message, your Broncos thoughts and questions on the show. We answer them in depth and uh, provide you guys a little bit of an outlet as well. But yeah, really, that's all I got going on for me. Um, but you know, you guys should be subscribed to this uh, podcast you guys are listening to right now. Phenomenal job by uh, these gentlemen that put a lot of time and effort into a lot of laughs, a lot of drinking, and a lot of editing, uh, a lot of football and Broncos talk, life talk, um, hot sauces, as you guys have mentioned. And if you guys have some time, don't forget to subscribe to Lockdown Broncos and uh, listen every day. We appreciate you guys. And uh, it was so fun jumping on with you guys here today. All right, Cody, before I, before I sign off here, uh, your Twitter bio says that you sound like Adam Schefter. So can I please just one time before we're done uh, hear you say, according to my sources, like Adam Schefter would say? <laughs> All right, I'll be happy to do that. According to sources that I spoke to this morning, Roger Goodell in the NFL, they are uh, deciding to push back everything uh, just because that they ran out of hot sauce and uppercut uh, is not really an aficionado of super, super hot sauce. He likes the flavor and not the taste. Our tradition is to end horribly, so. That's true. Usually we just kind of ride this thing off the rails. <laughs> Fourteen, say something. So, <laughs> say goodbye oh. to someone. Wash your hands. <laughs>